Welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, we have Mr. Martin Theobald, yep. fresh in from a child's party. I am. He went in his role as parent, just to be clear about that. Yeah, I wasn't just, <laughs> just spy one and went. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I was not my child, but someone else's. <laughs> Reminds me of that clip you sent me. <laughs> <laughs> that Ricky Gervais one. <laughs> uh, pedo. Uh, not a pedo. If I was, you'd be safe, you little fat ginger cunt. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, and Mr. Terry Chapandama. Yeah, back. Yeah, apologies for last week. Um, I was ill. So Andy basically quarantined the, the bat cave here. He was like, no, no one can come in I with their foreign anyway. pathogens. Guilty. I well, I just wasn't prepared to put myself on the front line of... Uh, Pathogen, pathogen petri dish duty. I got that fucking that fox molder type illness. You know when he just find those mad spores and he wouldn't know what they were, and him and Scully had to sit there and go, "What is this?" She was hot. I always liked Scully. And what was the other guy? Cancer man would be like, "It's a dark conspiracy." <laughs> I can't tell you who it I is. See this version of X Files. <laughs> Sounds like the B movie version. I never watched X Files really, but I didn't really either. But like yeah, no, nah, it was. It was. What a, is this? Honestly, it's it when it goes. It was just, it's the dark. <laughs> Every episode, you know what's coming. No, all the listeners will listen. There was that guy in the car park. You never saw who he was, and he just talked like this. Is it not Deep Throat? Is that what? He, wasn't it? No, isn't that another kind of film? Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that. That's what, call, that's what they called him. I don't think Mr. X was another one, wasn't he, or something like that. No, I don't know. Like, you watch your TV movies, mate. I was, I was well past it by then. <laughs> um, okay, we've got quite a bit to get through today, haven't we? Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. According whoa, to this. Whoa, are we whoa, any other business whoa. in first? Can we, can, we, can we all just give a toast on official St. Eubanks Day today? St. Eubanks. Get aboard. Get aboard the train. I've been, I've been driving that train for a long time. Every year from now on, this date is St. Eubanks Day. <laughs> the day he rescued... Boxing humanity from the hype. Yeah. <laughs> this is a day of zero hype, right? Like that's all he's done. Zero hype, false hope, all of that stuff he just washed away. And we have to honor our patron saint of <laughs> removing bullshit. <laughs> By beating a wash, James to Gale. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. No. I, 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 I take men at their word. I heard injury oh, free. I heard, better than he was before the yeah. injuries, in fact. Yep. I heard training camp was brilliant. Best training camp ever. Training smart. Lived the hard. life. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know if we can say that he, he, he it was a washed up version That's of the fair game. Enough. I mean, you say you're, you do hear some sportsmen that have never had injuries saying, I wish I could have an injury. <laughs> 
so that I could then be better than I was. Because you know how, like, injury. if you break your leg, in theory, is the bones meant to come back stronger. Yeah. So therefore, I've heard boxers are out there literally tearing ligaments off yeah. themselves. Yeah. Li- yeah. There's, there's. I think there's a bloke in the jungle somewhere that's been literally just breaking his legs with sticks and twigs for over over 20 years just to eventually it'll be the strongest it'll be like the Terminator in eventually he'll claim a WBA gold belt like Joe <laughs> Joyce did last night <laughs> I didn't even know there was a gold belt yeah right did, did anyone else do that when he said WBA gold are you all like what yeah so the WBA have now introduced the gold belt oh, thank god for that I know it's, it's a long time coming I've <laughs> been crying out for like alright it's fine. You've got a diamond belt. Where the bloody hell is the gold? <laughs> you know, you know Finally. The frankincense one is on his way. <laughs> do, 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 do you know what? Do you know what? And the man. Do you, know, do you know what's happened? Like, you know Mendoza's <laughs> been out on the piss somewhere somewhere in San Francisco, right? And he's bumped into an exec from Apple. And they're like, well, no. So what we do, right, is we make this iPhone. <laughs> and then we make like an iPhone X. Then we make it like an iPhone XR. Then we make like an iPhone C, right? It's all really iPhones, but what we do is we just spread it so thin that we capture everybody. That, then we control the ecosystem. And Mendoza's gone, got super belts, got regular. Got interims. Like intercontinentals, got interims, got like country belts. I haven't really done colours yet, have I? <laughs> <laughs> No, precious what, metals. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna do that Olympic thing. Like, like you know, I know Joe Joyce didn't win a gold, so I'm gonna give him a chance to win gold, right? And that's all he's done. <laughs> I'd be absolutely fine with it if the belt was made of gold, but it's not, yeah. and therefore it's a gold belt by name, not by <laughs> by virtue of the fact it's gold. I, I would respect <laughs> Mendoza even more if he just brought back the million dollar belt. <laughs> if he's the, with, <laughs> with Virgil, you get free Virgil with every belt. <laughs> That would be brilliant if someone won a fight and all they had was that million dollar belt. <laughs> Did you see, Mendoza came out this week, head of the WBA, the one that we'd interviewed before where he said he was going to cut all this bullshit. He came out this week and kind of explained why they have it um, and why it's carried on, why they've still got multiple belts. And he basically played the victim in it. He was like, <laughs> I'm not even joking you. He was like, promoters have demanded it and you know, TV companies demand it. And blah blah blah. At no point did he ever go. Look, they're, they're my belts. I could have, if I really wanted to, I could have stopped these in circulation. Especially at times when nobody's held them, I could have just pulled them in and then not released them again. But no, he started blaming everybody else apart from the WBA. And so for last night, I think is it the interim they've scrapped now and replaced it with the gold belt or something like that so this makes <laughs> this makes him mandatory for the wba regular title I, and that's manual char i think isn't it yeah got that. But, but, so, but what trevor bryant like does this mean trevor bryant's just gonna fight joshua having beaten nobody what about fresa quendo he's still saying <laughs> he's just waiting quendo's just waiting for he's waiting for that regular belt to disappear right and then he's, he's gonna play his ticket <laughs> yeah. do you know what it's like do you remember in wrestling they had the money in the bank briefcase yeah, i love that that's, <laughs> that's what he's got he's got the money in the concept. bank briefcase and when joshua goes 12 rounds life and death with <laughs> joe joyce he's gonna come in right at the end and go it's me next he'll get a free virgil at the end of See, it as that well would be, that would be more that would make boxing more interesting than just that alone make it more interesting than these shitty belts they keep bringing up i would even be i would even go as far as to say like if if they brought out like a european belt and a, a usa belt and a south american belt and if a European like fighter beats 
a guy who's holding a USA belt, then I don't know, the USA belt becomes quote unquote captured and a, a USA fighter has to beat European <clears throat> to in order to release it or something. You gotta be careful because give me something. Mate, Trump will bomb the shit out of Europe. <laughs> I want the belts back. I want the just belts look, back give now. Give me some reason to be invested in it. Not just like, what? who gives a fuck if you've got a, a, a WBA fucking frankincense belt? But it is mad that they've just introduced the uh, gold belt. So and I, I, how, how many have we got now? We've got the diamond belt. Is that right? WBC have a diamond belt. Oh, WBC have got a diamond belt. So WBA now have got... Have the super champion... The regular champion, and this is to replace the interim champion. You now have the gold champion or gold belt. I'm not really sure what the the correct term is. But I just think, you absolute scumbag, Mendoza. You fucking (laughs) cunt. You absolute cunt. No, I mean it as well. Because there's no need to introduce more stupid titles into a mix when you've already proliferated the market with stupid titles of like the intercontinental titles and that kind of stuff. There is no need for this additional belt. You money-grabbing little whore. It might be a coincidence, but do you remember The Simpsons' first five, six seasons, you had Rainier Wolfcastle in those little clips. The bad guy in that was called Mendoza. So I I don't know if that's coincidence or what. But But then was the bad guy in City of Gold called Mendoza as well? Or was Maybe. he the good guy? I, I don't know. You, I'm relying on you because I've never seen this film. You've never seen the cartoon of Cities of Gold? No. Was oh. the guy that stood around the car park in the X-Files, was that Mendoza? Probably. He he, uh, he had a belt of his own, so probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm honestly like, when I read about it this week and what it was going to be for, I just thought you... It's such a mess. Do you know, especially no. after he'd said to us directly, like, we're going to scrap these. I'd like, love it if Mendoza started... Started giving belts to like Twitter people. Like Porky Russ would get like the Twitter gold belt for having a real go at one of the whoever or or fucking who's every the time you get blocked by someone, you get another. Yeah, one. Just, just anyone who's killing on Twitter. Mendoza's like, I need to reward everyone in boxing with a belt. See, do you know what I'm gonna do this week? I've I've decided this. I'm gonna and I hope he doesn't listen to this and nobody tell him it. Nobody tweet oh, him okay, it. I went. I went. I'm gonna sort of send him an email. Because I've got his email address, his direct email address. And I'm going to say, look, I've had to look through your sanctioning fees and I can't afford the the top level belts, but I really want to give you some money and get a belt onto my show that I'm running. What's the least I can pay you to create a new belt? And I'm going to see what I get out of him. I reckon I'll get something. Silver belt? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to see... What- I'm going to report you, back next week, so I've got on with iron. it. You'll get a reply that in goes, Andy Ayling told me about you. <laughs> you, can't, <laughs> you can't blame people in positions of influence in boxing for lying. Because they've seen Eddie Hearn lie and make loads of money. So Allegedly. <laughs> well, okay. They've seen Eddie Hearn lie and his business has grown. And things have worked out for matchroom boxing. It was a lie word that I was trying to attach allegedly to. <laughs> <laughs> You're still sticking with that. I like it. Um, like, just make up absolute bullshit stories about, right, we're definitely, we're never, no, we're not going to fight in the USA. Why we do rats? We are British and we will fight in Britain. Yeah. Ten minutes later, 
Well, you know, the fans have been calling for it. They want us to fight in the USA. <laughs> right. Of course they do. <sighs> we meant to chat about last night, weren't we? And we will. I mean, I haven't seen any of it. So, and judging by, at one point, one of the fighters is described as some dude on this... Uh, no, I can't remember who he was, truth be told. Agenda that's been written for me. I'm imagining there's a certain lack of knowledge slash interest in... No, no, I'll it. explain that in a minute, but oh, okay. when we get there. <clears throat> okay, so, should we start off with... Oh, uh, did it, uh, I'm not going to go with weekends. Did everyone have a nice weekend? Uh, yeah, it was all right. Uh, England got... S- Oh, that's so annoying. You know what? Half time, I was all cocky and shit. You know when you're cocky at half time and you're just like, yeah. Just before uh, half time, we should have tried to press home a second try. Yep. And then we stopped playing. And then, and and here's the thing. And and I'm going to link it to boxing by saying this. There's something about British society at the moment where we're so scared of people who are savages that we exclude them from the things we really need them for. So if you look at rugby, all those people that play for us, apart from Ellis Genge, who's a bit of a savage himself, they're all quite nice people. If you meet them in person, they're nice people. You wouldn't be scared of them. You know, I mean, even Courtney Laws, you're not scared of. What, v- Billy Vinopolo? Not scared Who's of Who's the prop? The 18 stone, five foot, 10 guy. Uh, uh, there's Sinclair, Kyle Sinclair. <coughs> no, it looks very uh, Maori. Oh, Mako, Mako Vinopolo. Uh, I'm not sure it is. Or is there, or did he play yesterday? Yes. Come on as a sub. Uh, I, I didn't actually watch it oh. yet. So well, I watched bits of it. Then it'll be Ellis Genge. It'll be okay. Genge. But yeah, and yeah, he looks like a beast. Yeah, he well, he puts hands on people. That's what I like. Yeah, they were just showing in the uh, the warm up, like whilst they're warming up, showing highlights of him just like fucking people up. What do you say? Because one of my heroes is Mike Tyson. That's how I like to see myself, the rugby version of Mike Tyson. But but you see, in English rugby, he's called a problem child, and you're like, no, that's exactly what we want. Because in Wales, that guy'd be a hero. And all the Welsh did is they found all their people that like to kick ass and run over guys and go, right, you lot play rugby. We go and find the people who pay 40 grand a year to send their kids to school and go, you know, after your life of struggle, how do you fancy spending 80 minutes just fucking <laughs> kicking of off? Ah, oh, be <laughs> fun and japes. And we've got the same problem in boxing. All the people we put forward in boxing are nice people. They're not savages. They're not guys that bite your ear off. And that's why the standard of British boxing isn't as good as it could be. Um, okay, anyway, get back on track. How was your child's birthday party? Wasn't my child. I know. That is my uh, nieces. <clears throat> right, it's good. Yeah, I'm knackered and whatever. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Summers versus Sterling. First of all, question I've got to ask you is, who are these two boxers? I've never heard nah, of them. don't ever say that shit. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> Ricky, <laughs> Ricky Summers, ever. Andre Sterling. Oh, British light heavyweight Summers. title eliminator. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Andre no. Sterling is from Fitzroy Lodge. Oh. Andre, oh, Andre's a damn... Whoa. Do you remember when someone used to say, used to bitch about me mentioning my mates on the podcast? Remember that? They, they tweeted like, Terry's always just talking about his mates on the podcast. I can guarantee he hasn't mentioned Ricky Sterling before. Ricky Summers. Yes, no, no, we have. Oh, Ricky, we, we have mentioned Ricky Summers We before. have. Ricky Summers, I recognise. Ricky Summers. Honest, he fought Frank Bullioni. Yeah. Right? Oh, the greatest boxer. The greatest like, heavyweight retired in the last 12 yeah. months. But, but, but yeah. listen, Andre Sterling had had nine fights before yesterday. Nine. Nine. And he's fighting an eliminator for the British title held by Callum Johnson. And I've spoken to Andre. Andre will fight Callum Johnson. He expects, I mean, we all expect Callum to vacate. But Andre's like, I'll fight anybody. <coughs> and and for me, it's really, 
because I've, I've mentioned Andre a few times on the podcast in various contexts. I think the first time was when I first came on here and he had just caught a final in the ABAs in 2016. And on on route, he had basically run over Danny Dignam. And that was before Danny went over to work with the GB squad ahead of Rio. And we didn't know what Andre was going to do. And I remember saying at, at the time, if he focuses, he will he'll be at British level comfortably and he could go on beyond that. And at the time I said a fight I'd like to see would be him against Dan Aziz at that British level. And this weekend, I think we've seen both guys take positive steps towards that. So I'm happy, really happy for Andre because always been talented. I've known Andre for what, 10, 11 years now? Always been talented. But when you're young and you're from Southeast London, you get sucked into some of the wrong things. And I'm glad to see that he stepped away from that and just focused on boxing and give Brian Lawrence his due as a trainer for getting Andre to this point in nine fights. And you know, because you're around the small hall scene, to be fighting for a British title in under 12 fights is a big deal. <coughs> it's whether, I mean, I, I don't know who manages Andre, but... Uh, Heliot. Okay. It's whether... <laughs> okay. That changes what I was about to say. Yeah. Um, do, not, do not get the weasel of the week. <laughs> Whatever you do. I'm guessing the gold. I'm, I'm going to guess right now because I, I don't know Andre Sterling that well, particular. Yeah. I'm guessing he doesn't shed a load of tickets. Um, I'm fairly confident in saying that without knowing the guy. Well, for where he is now, I think he's good for the for ticket numbers in the hundreds. Okay, yeah. So like a hundred, a hundred and fifty, maybe two, 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 and I, well, no, so I don't think if he did more than that. And he was managed by Heliot. There's a fair chance he wouldn't be fighting British title eliminators after nine fights. That's all I say. Um, no, because uh, I think, and and this is just snippets of conversations. Andre struggled in the beginning because no one knew who Andre was. Unless, like Dan Aziz in the beginning, if you remember, if you if you weren't around the shows, if you weren't really around the amateur scene, you didn't know who Andre was because he's not a a social media savvy kind of guy. But they plugged himself well after the fight. Oh, yeah, his post-fight interview was. but And I think this is one thing Fitzroy Lodge does, is it prepares you for that sort of thing. Like You get little bits of exposure doing other things. You know, They might get you doing adverts and stuff. So when your time actually does come, you kind of feel ready for it. And I was, overall, I was happy. I know he got dropped. Now, I didn't see the knockdown. It was a flash knock there. It wasn't heavy. Which is good. Uh, but he seems to have won every other round. So... That's a good performance for, for for someone who's essentially a rookie still at this level. And, you know, I can't be objective about this because I'm just happy as fuck for Andre. Andre is, I put him, there's a group of those guys where it's Andre Sterling, young Charlie Harrison, Ricardo Slew, big Chris Brown, Jermaine Williams, Jermaine Brown. All of these guys that were all around, you know, 16, 17, 18, a decade ago, and I've just watched them grow into fantastic young men. So I just have an immense amount of pride. And I'm just, I'm happy. <clears throat> if he fights Callum Johnson, I'm 100% behind him. If he doesn't, even better, let him fight Joshua Bartzi. He's not scared of Josh. Let them go. They've sparred. Like we've seen the sparring and it's epic. So if the fight's anything like that, bring the fans are in for a treat. So, I mean, it's worth knowing. Firstly, like fair play to Mickey Helliot for getting him in that position so early. Um, and I thought he did brilliantly, Andre Stone. I thought he was brilliant last night. 
the fact that he's won a British title eliminator doesn't mean that he's going to be fighting for the British title anytime soon. Um, it wasn't a final eliminator. It was eliminator. They have multiple stages to these. And it's whether you choose to put him into that final eliminator position next um, or whether you can, you know, get picked out of the hat to, to be a voluntary defense, which you'd be in a good position to do now. Um, but I say just because you win an eliminator doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go and fight for the title, albeit it would be really refreshing to see him go and do that. Because I imagine if Johnson vacates, that obviously creates two spots. Yeah, but right? he has. Buatzi is fighting Liam Conroy for the British title. Oh, shit. Yeah. And then who's fighting for the English? Shinquin and Garvey. Uh, Garvey, this Saturday coming. But then, but then this fight's a level above that fight, right? In terms of Miles Shinkwin's English level top, Kurt Garvey's lost to Andre, and that was on, on Andre's bad day. So you're almost like, well, who's there left for him to fight? Maybe, unless you dig up Bob Edger safe and say, right, Bob Edger safe. <laughs> this is how you get back to the British title. But I just think it's, it's absolutely incredible. I'm like, fuck hell, Andre Sterling is on the verge of. Because I always say, once you once you fight for a British title, for me, you're there as a boxer. This is now your profession. <clears throat> so I'm just there like, shit. Oh, my God. Yeah, chuff him. It was brilliant last night. <clears throat> right, so let's move on then. And we finally get to, I say we finally get to, we now get to Nihal versus the some dude. Whoever, hey, does Jamie, Flashlight. does Jamie Ingleby <laughs> still listen to this? Johnny Flashlight. I hear he's going to be competing for the uh, WBA China belt. Big time. Yeah. Big time. I think it's Jade, not China. Oh, is it Jade, Jade belt? Jade yeah. belt. I, knew they, I knew they were debating on what to call it, but <laughs> they finally settled on Jade. Okay. Um, so, I mean, fill me in on one, who this dude was, and two, who Nihal is. Friends with Bobby Friction, I think. No, forget. <laughs> no. So, Chez... Go back to April last year, where I was talking to you about probably the most disgusting judging decision I've seen in the ABAs, where young Courtney Bennett lost the final to Chez. Wasn't this the one where you uh, watched it during the podcast? Yeah. And then lost your shit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I take pride in losing my shit sometimes. Remember, this is this is St. Eubanks Day. We're just, we're just, we're just removing all the <laughs> St. hype. St. Eubanks Day. <laughs> it's St. Eubanks Day. <laughs> You know, we, we need to acknowledge that. But look, so Chez is an ex-soldier. He boxed for the army. He's still a soldier, isn't he? Is he still? Yeah, I think so. Because oh, That's right, because Macintosh talked about him being the first serving soldier to be a professional boxer. And just completely, in that sentence, disregarded and Connor. many Connor, others. Connor yeah. Vian, Ross Birkinshaw, sure. Chris Hobbs yes. are all serving soldiers that have also been professional boxers, but... Nah, not yeah, in, but he's never heard of him, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, not in that stanza it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, so Chez, I thought, lost the ABA final. I, I Honestly, I respect him as a man and he's a really good guy in person. I think he, I've never seen someone gifted so many decisions. He got gifted a decision against John Pilata as well. Like all of this stuff, he gets gifted, but... No one can name me a guy he's ever dropped. They can't name me a guy he's ever hurt with a punch. And I know Jamie Ingleby will be listening. So I'm going to get a message somewhere, somehow. I know, actually, he's having family time this week. Hope he hopefully enjoys it. But Chez has one way of boxing, and it is to skirt around the perimeter of the ring and hope you overcommit. And he'll pick you off. 
and he hopes it's enough to nick rounds. And that works in the amateurs because you've only got <clears> three rounds. You can't do that for 10 rounds. And you definitely don't want to do that for 10 rounds against men who weigh 200 plus pounds because it's a very hurtful business. So I want him to do well because he's he's getting a chance to live his dream. I don't think stylistically he's got it yet in order to be a threat, even at area level, I think he would struggle. Like you couldn't put him in with the Dion Juma. That wouldn't last very long. But just an interesting thing. He's trained by his wife and John from Guildford as well. So uh, you were on the course with his wife, right? I was. Yeah. She's lovely lady. She like, is. She, I think she did the Commonwealth Games. She was a silver medalist. I think, yeah. And then she did them before. Lady can really fight. She's 64 kilos. I think was her fighting weight. So she, I mean, she's been in with the likes of Sherelle Brown and so forth. And she gives everybody hell. Class act in and out the ring. They're a good couple. Look, I'm not going to lie. Like on a human level, I like both of them. I just don't see how, you know, Chez is not 21. So I don't see what they're going to do for him career-wise where he's going to, you know, add to his record of achievement thus far. Two things to note on it. Firstly, he won 39-37, which is a concern to anyone making their pro debut is to lose a round to what is essentially a journeyman. Um, I know a lot of people that are going through the matchmaking process um, will just, you know, if you've never seen someone fight before, you can take a very good gauge on how people get through those early fights. 40-36 will be your typical, what you're looking for, somebody who's uh, uh, either a decent or... They're fighting someone like a Lewis Van Pooch who you are expected to get 40-36 against. Um, so, yeah, to, to lose a round in that fight, I was, you know, that surprised me because I've never seen Chess before. And I hear he comes with the ABA title. Uh, so I was expecting a far more accomplished performance than what I saw. Um, he's going to struggle. And I'll probably come on to this when talking about DeGale. Chess is a perennial underdog, right? So when you're boxing as a super heavyweight and you're his size, he's not a big man. So he comes into the ring at about 96 kilos and the other lads are coming in 105 to 110. So he's a smaller guy. So he's a guy that nicks decisions and nicks results. There's never been a dominant Chez performance because he's not big enough to do that. But you're a pro now. So we're looking to you to give us a dominant performance. You can't give us the the underdog performance and hope you nick a result. You have to give us that that front foot marauding, show us you got power, show us you got combinations, even show us you can get a stoppage because that's how you make money in boxing. Second point of note on this though was that <clears throat> I don't know why the fuck this was shown. Like, not being horrible about it, but the guy's making his debut. You've got two floating fights on there. Seb Eubank and then Chris Congo versus Cedric Paynell. Paynell was the guy that smashed Conor Ben around the ring uh, and then subsequently got smashed around in the second half of that fight. Brilliant fight. You'll call the two, like, they just clashed. And so I was really looking forward to seeing what um, what Chris Congo could do with Cedric Paynell. Would he do a far better performance than Conor Ben had done? Would it be, you know, would it legitimise Conor Ben's performance? Because if Paynell gave Chris Congo hell, then you'd say, oh, actually, maybe we were a bit harsh on Conor Ben at the time. But to take that gauge against a common opponent. And they never got to fight. They never got to fight throughout the night. Not even like it went on later. And, you know, it just never got shown on the live part of the TV program. They never got to fight. And I felt for Chris Congo out of that. Because that was an opportunity for him to 
create that benchmark, that comparison point to show what he's about because there's a lot of noise about Chris Congo and there's a lot of talent in the lad, but he's not getting those breaks. And I just thought I didn't need to see 12 minutes of Chesney Hell versus that guy that I can't remember the name of. Kent Kapanen. Something like that. When when there was a far better option of what I could have seen where you could have cut some of the punditry talk, because I know it's six rounds, I think, the Chris Congo fight. You could have cut some of the punditry talk here and there. You could have cut some of the... Whatever, just to give an additional eight, nine minutes for the, the Congo fight. I just I found it really disappointing that that Chess fight got onto the pay-per-view portion and the Congo fight didn't, because that was a solid, stellar undercard fight, Congo. I think the, the only defence I'd give is, I imagine Chess shifted a fair few tickets to the army guys. Absolutely, I'm sure he and, did. And I think it was more we'd sooner get him on because he brings a legitimate constituency with him and they've come to see him. Whereas I think if you come to see a Chris Congo fight, you're kind of like, I'll take Andre Sterling as well. Which is fine. Apart from the fact that you're accommodating the person who's brought loads of people with him to the arena on a TV platform. The only people that cared are not, well, maybe not the only, the majority of people that would have cared about Chez was sat there. Yeah. They could have put that on before the TV element and then put Congo on, on the TV element because that was a legitimately decent fight. Yeah. Or on paper, it was a legitimately decent fight. We don't know right now. I think Congo's in a strange place because he's not affiliated to anyone in terms of like a broadcaster or a promoter. I don't think he's officially linked to anyone, is he? And uh, there were rumours going around that he w- is soon to be. I don't know if it's true or not. So I'll go I'll go back to, and maybe we'll touch on this as well today. When we remember when we discussed the, the boxing advantage company, the thing that the McGuigans were trying to set up. Yeah, the and, pyramid scheme. Yeah. And at that point, we were talking about, they were looking at Congo as a guy to sign for Cyclone. And he, he said, thanks, but no thanks. And he's kind of been in the wilderness ever since. Well, he was training with Shane, wasn't he? Yeah. And Shane loves him. Like he was giving Josh Taylor the right kind of work, and you know Shane Shane's fussy about who he works with, so it was like okay, that's a real that's a ringing endorsement, but that didn't work out, and now you're almost like well, shit. Now you're stuck with Jimmy Mack, which I mean he's he's not having a good good run of it at the moment, and we don't know where you're going to end up in terms of broadcasters. So I think. Someone needs to sit down with Chris and say, Chris, are you really extracting the most out of your, your team and your network at the moment? Lee Selby versus Douglas. Yeah, well, I was hoping he was going to give me a first name. I was Benjamin. <laughs> I was going to say, is it Ishmael yeah. Douglas? <laughs> you really look disinterested in this. I'm about as interested now as I was when I watched it. I've got to be honest. Do you know what? Be honest with you, I don't take Lee Selby seriously without the moustache. <laughs> I just don't. Like, like classic terrorism. If, if Lee Selby doesn't look like he's about to sell me a lamp that he's just nicked from a house down the road, I don't. I, it's like a Samsung. I like the boxers to look like my porn stars. That's what you're saying. No, no. I want him to look like like he's literally just come out of Aylesbury Young Offenders Institute. That's the Lee Selby I know. That's the Lee Selby that gets me excited. <laughs> him looking all sensible and like 30-something, uh, it just didn't feel the same. He's still 30-something wearing a cap coming down to gangster rap when he's from Barry Island. Like th- Those things don't necessarily all tie in together. <laughs> the Barry Island uh... John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't... 
He's come up from featherweight to lightweight. Um, and he never had any power at featherweight. And I think he's given... I, I don't know. I haven't really paid that much of attention. But I'm sure he gave it the rhetoric about, um, you know, moving up. Being at featherweight had drained me so much. Now I'm at my natural weight. I'm going to carry all the power. Like, he's... he's I'm going to nick a term from Dev Sarni at um, Frank Warren's lot. <laughs> he tweeted, I'm glad to see he's carried up his featherweight power <laughs> to oh. his new weight division. <laughs> it's just so true because he he's a lovely technician, Selby. He's the absolute polar opposite almost of Joe Joyce in that Joe Joyce is this big, heavy-handed robot that can walk forwards and punch really hard. And punch hard. Whereas Lee Selby is this beautiful, like almost like ballerina esque ba- um, fleet of foot. Yet, you know, kind of it doesn't doesn't float like a butterfly and punch like a butterfly. He <laughs> <laughs> doesn't plant his. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure someone out there go, oh, but he knock you out. Of course, he'd fucking knock me out. He's a professional boxer, but. I'm not convinced, by the way, and I'm happy to put this out there, that every single professional boxer in the world could knock me out. I mean, I'm, I'm convinced that there's a lot of people out there, professional or non, or just regular blokes in the street, that could knock me out. But I'm not convinced that every single professional boxer could knock me out. What, one punch or do they get a combination? <laughs> in a, in, well, you've got what, get okay. to just work on me until I'm knocked out, then probably most No, people... you've got one three-minute round with Lee Selby. Would he knock you out? Boxing rules, not like he can't use his Aylesbury Youth Offender Institute stuff that Terry's talking about. <laughs> what, about what about gloves, though? What gloves does he have to wear? Could, uh, 10 f- ounce. Yeah, he's game over, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> game over. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, probably. I'm, I'm not going to... Like, you don't want to start actually challenging him. No, no, no. Because no, <laughs> ha- having done a very small amount, and I, and I sort of... I want to emphasise small amount of like... Boxing training, you know, in the gym or whatever. I've, I have a, a newfound appreciation of just how technically, (laughs) just fucking about as well. Just like, oh yeah, shit, I can't. I'm like, all right, I cover here, yeah, but then your stomach's open. Oh man, I don't want to get punched in the stomach. I better hold myself. And then you get punched in the face. And then I was like, this is why I don't do it because I don't want to get punched anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) No, do you know what? So no, I'm not. I'm not doubting that Lee Selby could punch the man in the street and hurt them I'm not doubting that whatsoever but at that level at lightweight against the guy who's peripheral fringe level not even at world title level himself it didn't sell me on the vision that Lee Selby is a threat to the lightweight that guy wasn't even a lightweight he just came up you fancy the work. He came up from Super Feather. Did he? I, I don't know a lot about him. Yeah. So, uh, However, he's got the coolest corner man in the business. Who did he have? I can't remember the guy's name, but he's got this, um, like, uh, what's it? Is it a trilby hat? Maybe. I'm not sure. Um, sort of the triangle towards the front. Well, it's got what? a dip in the top. Is yeah. it like is it like the Pete maybe and Baz? Well, there is too tight. I can't remember. Is it more like type. a pork pie hat, maybe? I'm not sure. Very- is, that like, is, it, yeah, is it like the guy, the guy in Pete and Baz? In what? Why are you referencing all these obscure TV programs? The old, the old guys I sent you the video of. 1920s gangster. Remember the old guys? Yeah, I, I can't remember his uh. hat though. But, um, and but, fucking joking, you lot. But you can imagine he's got this hat that's got like a rim around the outside yeah. and then it goes up to cover the head, yeah, as you'd yeah. expect in a hat. And then it dips <laughs> in the centre. Dips in the centre of it. Yeah. In that dip, he's got his Vaseline. 
Okay. Right, so now you're interested, isn't you? Now yeah. I've piqued your interest. And it's... so he, he's leaning in the corner. And I'm like, right, motherfucker's got a hat on. Like, this is this is different. Whips his hand up to the Vaseline on the top of the hat and starts rubbing it into to the dude's face. That's quite cool. I'm like, I'm... I remember watching a Simpsons episode where Homer had the same deal, but the hat was made out of tortilla chips. And in the top, he where the Vaseline was, he had cheese dip. I was like... Why the fuck do these not exist? I mean, they get up to a point where you start getting hairy, hair. I think, hairy I think, tortillas. I think you can get the uh, the condom version. Didn't sell well though. The condom. <laughs> yeah, tortilla condoms. What? what? No, you can't get tortilla condoms. No woman has ever been shagged by a tortilla. I'm not yeah. having this. Make your own dip. <laughs> the tortillas. The the condoms cracked. <laughs> like cracked. <laughs> What's that? Sour cream. Oh. <laughs> um, hit a new low. <laughs> but yeah, dude's got his Vaseline top of the hat. That was the most okay. interesting thing about this fight, if I'm honest. Okay, let's move on then. To... I think people need to stop fucking with Selby. I, I just okay. think... Like, Selby was interesting when we thought he could fight Frampton and Warrington and give him hell. He couldn't. Like, he ain't doing anything. Like, come on, Richard Comey versus Selby at 135. He doesn't have the power to keep somebody off him. Yeah, and that's that's what it comes down to. And anyone who's got enough heart, determination, and power to walk through will cause him hell, absolute hell. And so this this comes to the question that I ask a lot of times in boxing. And I go, "Is there a point as fans when we just have to say, look, we don't owe you a duty of providing you with a pension and making sure you have money? Your job is to give us value so that we spend our money." Because I just think Selby's there going, Yo, I probably haven't got enough money to retire. I just need to get on as many shows as I can in order to just top up that fund. I haven't got long left. I actually think he's a man who just likes to fight. I don't have an issue with that. Well, I don't and know. Actually, he, he did a lot of that skirting around the outside of the ring. No, he did. He did. But I think he likes being in a boxing ring and fighting his way, is what I'm saying. But and people may think we're being overly harsh and someone I'm sure will point out that he was a world champion up until his last fight and so therefore what right have we got to write him off my issue is that you've got to write him off at lightweight now if he can make it down to featherweight again then maybe he can go out there and get a belt somewhere because I don't want to see him at lightweight because I don't think he's a uh, he's not a world class threat to anybody because you could see Against Warrington, Warrington was causing him a lot of problems. Warrington is a relentless, um, softer puncher. Can you imagine what somebody at lightweight who can really punch would do to him? It, it, it wouldn't be very pretty. Can we talk about someone who really can punch? My new favourite fighter. Well, which which one? Joe Joyce. Big Joe Joyce. Right. Big ah. Joe Joyce. Right, so... Right, go just <laughs> rewind the clock a little bit. I remember when... But Mainz Vern was the name that people gave to Wilder as, I think it was you, Terry, that said that was the biggest name that Wilder had fought at that point. So is Stavern a decent a decent test for Joyce? Not now. I, I, I'm going to turn this around and I'm going to say somewhere on planet Earth, Anthony Joshua sat there watching that fight. And he's watching someone he's taken heavy shots from has been hurt by maybe even dropped by. He's watching that man fight Bermain Stavern and struggle to put a real dent in Stavern. And then he's got to then realize Deontay Wilder one punch that man. Now you're there going, 
I struggle with Joe Joyce's power and his physicality. And I think he hits pretty hard. Now you're like, how hard must Wilder actually hit? Because Stavern came in relatively out of shape. He had a 12-week camp for Deontay Wilder. He had like a six-week one for this. No, he said it was about a 14-week camp. Did he? Yep. Yep. He said this was the longest camp and the best condition of his career. And then we saw him. Yeah, so I think half the camp was bulking. (laughs) And then the other half was also bulking. Yeah. I saw some videos of him and he looked a big chunk. Yeah, because I'm worried. I'm not even sure the WBA gold belt would have fit around him. I know it's rare that they wear it and adorn it in that fashion around the waist, but I'm not convinced. It gave me hope that one day (laughs) I could still make it. No, he was he was he was horribly out of shape. He was immobile. But I think Stavern is an example of really good matchmaking where you know he's tough. He's got a bit of a story behind him, but he's so inactive that his threats are limited but very predictable. So Joyce wasn't in a lot of danger. So he was free to to detonate at will. He took those right hands early on. Like yeah. big looping right hands from Stavern. And he kind of just looked at him as if to say, <laughs> brilliant, yeah. right. Well, I know I well, can stand here. And- but Joyce has that expression where it's like, I don't even think it registers with him. Do you know there's just some guys where it doesn't register? I think he's so calculated like in his head because everything that he does seems to be very calculated. Any conversation he has, any interview he does, they're not the most engaging things. And we'll come on to, to Sam Jones later, I suspect. Uh, his kind of verbal mouthpiece. But yeah, I kind of think every time he gets hit, there must be, you know, like um, in The Hangover where Alan's like stood at the, the poker table and all the numbers are yeah. going through his head. I think that's what Joe Joyce head's doing. Every time he gets clipped, he's like, oh, velocity times. <laughs> I genuinely think that because he's a really intelligent bloke as well. Um, I'll tell you, it's just a bizarre fight. Like savage, Stiverne, yeah. fuck me, was it? Stiverne walking backwards in straight lines for ninety percent of it, probably. <laughs> but here's my question: Name me a heavyweight who's mobile. I can think of like maybe Yoka Hergovic had a push. Shiri. Yeah, but there's no one who's super mobile in that weight class where you're like there to just danced around Joe Joyce. If you see what I mean, Huey, Huey and Tyson. Uh, you know, I want to speak now. I want to get messages from Porky at this point. I, I look. I just think if Joyce hits Huey Fury, Huey Fury's not running anywhere. Um, perhaps, perhaps. It's just that technique of Joyce, <laughs> absolutely fucking mad, isn't it? Like to watch him, you would not. When you think of what a an Olympic silver medalist um, is, then you think of somebody who's refined and technically quite astute and well unless you saw him win it oh unless you saw him in his gold medal match. yeah and then you've got joe joyce who just everything about him is so robotic it's like rock well, well, and robots no, it, it is it's like but, someone's uh, going bah, 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 bah. <laughs> no, no but, but here's the weird thing like to be he's uh, see like, i don't know if he's robotic what his prop the challenge with joyce is there's no rhythm to what he does so you're there, like most boxers, you get a punch and it's bam, bam. Or it's bam, huh, bam, bam. Huh. Joyce doesn't even have that rhythm. It's almost like a boom, 
And so you can't time him. Because when you expect the shot to come, it doesn't come. But you've already moved to defend the shot that didn't come. And all of a sudden, he hits you with the same hand. And you're like, I don't know. It's almost like he's it just, these shots just pop up at random. Yes, because his jab is so slow to watch it. Like, I'm pretty sure people went for a piss in the time that his jab landed. Um, <laughs> but it's hard to get out of the way of. But, but it still seems to land consistently. Nobody that he's fighting is getting out the way of it. And granted, Bermain Stavern by round three was so fat and fucked that he couldn't seemingly move his head anyway. No, no, because I've got a friend like that. I've got a friend. His, his name's Jody. Absolute giant of a man. You have to be to be called Jody as a guy, right? And at school, he'd fight people. And his punches were really, really slow. And you're like, he can't hit me with that. And every time he'd throw these really slow punches. And it's like he hypnotized people. And then they'd detonate. And like feet would go in the air. And like, you know I mean, like laws of physics would be broken. Yeah. And you're watching, you're like... No, nah, you can't hit me with those fucking punches. But it's almost because you've moved out the way and then moved back. And by the time you've moved yeah. back, it lands. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shit, surreal. you know, I forgot about that punch that was coming. Right? <laughs> it, mate, but it is. That jab surreal. is so strange. He, um, right, okay. Let me I, I, I ask you, uh, this is a statement come question, I suppose. Like a statement home for a response. What? Uh preceded by a question what what is the point of joe joyce to me it almost looks like we're Ow. watching a guy like a really slow retirement of someone who's just become professional like no you, not at all no. what, what what is the point where's okay. he going do you remember street fighter 2 where you had to punch <laughs> this shit out that car <laughs> yeah. remember remember you had to break the car down yeah. right yeah, yeah, yeah joe joyce could do that in real life right and so when he fights a car for the WBA, no, no, when he fights Diesel, when he fights anyone, <laughs> I reckon if you like, you know, you can just say to Joe, punch, and he just like this wall will just collapse. <laughs> Joe, he, like, I think he just does it on command, like just in the corner. Abel Sanchez is like, on on my command, you will punch. Right. Okay. Uh, is that, okay. But so stop me if I'm wrong. Okay. He doesn't beat Wilder. He doesn't beat Fury. He doesn't could beat do. AJ. Could do. Right, you you think he has a chance to beat Fury I or think, AJ? I think he can grind anyone down. If let's let's say Joshua hits him with a straight right and he shakes his head, you might see Joshua jump out the ring. Remember that guy that jumped out the ring from Effie Jagba, where he was just like, "I don't want this." <laughs> Before it started, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it's that sort of thing. Where so if you if he might have a cast iron chin, if if his chin's solid, you know what? They can do that for twelve rounds. This is a bizarre thing that. <laughs> I don't even know how you stop him. Because if he's got a solid chin, yeah. he's just going to be yeah. like a baddie in a movie. Or like... Um, <laughs> Juggernaut out of X-Men or something. Yeah. Well, you could fire rockets at him and he'll just like go... And then he'll kind of reshape and go... Like Liquid Terminator. Dom, Dom. Or yeah, exactly that. That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, and then he'll come back at you again. And so Stavern last night, it's clear that Joyce doesn't have one punch knockout power, but... What he does is loads up on every single punch. And it's almost like watching, um, you know, when you start playing Fight Night 
And <laughs> you kind of, you work out what the trigger is to do a power punch. And then you get a bit power punch happy on everything. So you neglect the jab. You neglect yeah. anything of any real like technical ability. You don't really move around that much. You, you just, just walk forward. Bar to grow you walk up. forward, <laughs> wait for your energy bar to go, and then you throw again. <laughs> and those punches gradually get a little bit slower. And weaker. Weaker. But I think joists don't necessarily get weaker. I think they keep the, the same strength. They might get a little bit slower. Um, but I don't want to be on the end of one of them. Like, I do not want to be on the... And then relentlessly on the end of them. Someone should have pulled Stavern out after the fourth round because he was taking the kind of blows that I feel will impact him in later life. And he was being too tough for his own good. And his corner should have said... Agree. Mate you're only going to get hurt badly in there. You're not winning. You're not in shape to do this. Show me something in the next round or I'm going to have to pull you out because it's not safe. My son came in and watched it. It was about round five, I think. Um, and he went, why is that man not moving? Out the- well, like, why is he just letting him punch him? I'm like, I-, I can't even answer that right now. Other than like, he's not in shape to do this and he's getting really badly beaten up. That's the reason why he's not holding his arm. The, 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 the point I would have pulled him out was, there's a point where Stavern tries to do the cross-handed guard. Yes. And if you remember, it's like, <clears throat> it's like how Foreman protected himself in his second career. But he did it in such a way that he actually protected nothing. So he did it across his chest. And Joyce was like, I'm just going to hit you in the head. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, get him out. Get him out, please. <clears throat> but in response to your question... You've got the big three, right? Fury, yeah. Wilder, Joshua. I know they're an easy, an easy go-to. Right. So I, I, it's anyone Joyce, screaming at their Joyce device. Joyce can beat anybody else not called those three. Would you put him in with Dillian? Not yet. But when he's ready to do the 12, that's not a fight he'll fancy. Like, Dillian won't fancy. It, it's, so how many rounds is Josh, uh, Joyce fighting at the moment? They're, they're all 12, but he's just not going 12. Um, but here's the thing. I'm convinced. I tweeted this last night. I don't think he's ever going to have a 12-round fight. I think you could schedule it for 80 rounds. It doesn't matter <laughs> because I don't think he's ever going to reach 10. He's very much got that, I'm either going to knock you out or you're going to knock me out attitude. Yeah. And, and I don't yeah. think that's going to change. And I don't think I don't think he needs any like gateway fights now. I think... In, in an ideal world, if money were thrown out of the way, if you could just say fighter A, fight fighter B, if it yeah. were the amateurs, essentially, you would just say fight Joshua now. Because I don't think he's learning anything out of these fights. His style hasn't changed from the Ian Lewison debut. Oh, no, 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 no. He, he's, he's, he's gone away from that kind of that salsa stuff he used to try. Uh, Remember that? Okay, yeah, yeah. When he, <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't wear a poncho and a Mexican hat to the ring anymore. <laughs> Maybe that's the biggest stylistic change we've seen out of him. Is that he's no longer coming down as a fucking Mexican? <laughs> important, <laughs> important. Yeah, but other than that, like we're not going to see any difference now. If he fights through um, a, a few contenders or whatever, yeah. we're not going to see any difference. In an ideal world, you would just say fight for the heavyweight title tomorrow. I think Sam- he, he needs to harden up though. So I'd rather. I'll call them maturation fights. You know those fights where we've seen what you've done to Stavern. I want you to bed that in. Like, I feel what you did against Stavern is you proving what you've learned. I want this to be second nature to you by the time you step up. So I think you need those couple of fights. The Manuel Char fight's a good fight for him because Char's not big. Yeah. And so you can can kind of bully him about. You could give him... um, 
one of these European guys who always seem to be ducking, like like Christian Hammer would have been a good fight. Tom Schwartz would be a good fight. I know fight. they tried to make the Hammer fight. Yeah, those sorts of fights for me are good fights because he has to be careful because these guys like Hergovic are coming. Yoke is going to come back. So what Joyce is trying to do is steal a march on everyone so there's no traffic when he comes to look for belts. Well, uh, where is he in terms of like rankings? Well, he's in the WBA top Probably after last night, I suspect he'll be in the top five behind um, two dead guys. Between two dead guys and and the guy that three makes wise sausages. men, yeah, um, <laughs> who who are holding the gold frankincense myrrh belts. But um, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that because it's just so painfully, painfully hyperbolically accurate. I don't know if that's a complete contradiction in terms, but still. Yeah, so so you got Sam Jones, who is... Yes. You know, we've said this various times in the past on here. Someone like a Dubois, someone like a, a Joe Joyce would really benefit from a mouthpiece. A, you know, we've used a few wrestling analogies oh, today, yeah, but a Bobby the Brain Heenan, a, oh, a mouth for the South Jimmy Hart. Paul Heyman. Bobby the Paul Brain Heenan. <laughs> Fuck me, is that a dated reference? Nobody out there under the age of 30 has a clue what I'm on about. Bobby the <laughs> That was my go-to as well. Or, was... or Slick. <laughs> or Paul Bearer. Ooh, Mr. Fuji. I literally... But Mr. Fuji never talked, oh, if you remember. He just threw salt in the eyes of Bret Hart at WrestleMania yeah. 9. Ooh. 10? Don't know. Um, anyway... Some of these boxers that really don't talk very well or uncomfortable in front of the camera could benefit from having a mouthpiece. Somebody who can do the hyperbole for them. Um, and Sam Jones has, has kind of, through whatever means, and I think it's probably fairly common knowledge as to how he became um, involved with some of the GB team. He was just laying pipes. <laughs> in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, that pipe work, man. Pipe yeah. work. So he gets himself involved with Joe Joyce. Now, Sam Jones, let's just clarify at the beginning, doesn't hold any British Boxing Border Control license. So he's not a promoter, not a second, not a trainer, not a manager, none of them. And so he can work outside of all of the jurisdiction of the British Boxing Border Control. He can do as he pleases without having to worry about anything else. Um, so he's kind of taken on being the voice of Joe Joyce almost, like online um i heard somewhere you can't interview joe joyce without sam being without no without interviewing sam first and so you don't get to interview joe unless you interview sam first and you publish that sam interview that's what i've heard i don't know if it's true i like that and i'll tell you why i like that because a lot of these media guys try and think they're slick and they'll catch a fighter on a bad day and they catch him off guard to try and get the exclusive. I like how Sam has gone, no, 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 no. There'll be a very clear line and a very clear message. Which is absolutely fine. But sometimes, I, <clears throat> maybe he's learned from this, I don't know. But if you rewind to when he was doing the interview about Bermain Stiverne, however far back, um, and this is where the problem's going to occur. He was doing the interview about Bermain Stiverne. This must be a year ago or whatever. And he said, when Joe Joyce sparred him, it was the worst sparring I've ever seen. Like, Joe just beat him. <clears throat> Pillar to post. He was a heavy bag. That's all he was. Stavern was a punch bag for Joe. Now, 
it's diff- like this is where it's hard because is he there as a promoter for Joe or is he there as Joe's voice? Because it's fine for Joe Joyce to go out and say, I've sparred Bermain Stavern and I beat the fucking hell out of him. Same as Eubank did about the Gale and that kind of laid seed all those years back to this fight. So okay. it's fine for Sam to go out and do that if he is Joe's voice. If he is Joe's promoter, which I realise he isn't, Al Hay- he signed to PBC with Al Heyman, but if he's there to promote Joe Joyce, then it's not fine to do that. Because when do you ever see Eddie Hearn go out and say, that fighter is shit? Like, my boy will Wait. hammer him and beat the shit out okay, of him. Okay, hold on. So, so we've discussed it many times where Hearn has an ability to brief against a certain fighter. We called it. Remember the Sunday after the Fury Wilder fight? And we said, the first Hearn interview, he's going to downplay this whole thing. Absolutely fine. And, and so what I think the challenge is, boxers shouldn't be out there in the public talking about sparring for me because there's like this bond that says there are so many variables that go into sparring. You might be two weeks away from your fight. I might be like just getting ready. And so you put hands on me. And that's, you know, but that's not a fair indicator of where we both are. So I'm less worried if Sam makes those sorts of comments because I can go, he's not really from the sport to be doing that. Um, I'd be more worried if Joe was making those comments. But that's the thing. Is Sam Joe's mouthpiece? Well, I think he's there to to drive commercial value in Joe. So that, that immediately negates the commercial value of Joe for that fight in particular, for the Stavern fight. Because as soon as I heard... He's battered Bermain Stavern left to right and Stavern was nothing but a punch bag. Then I thought, my interest's gone. My interest is genuinely gone Does because not- that, was a, that was a Stavern who was in better shape and was more active Does this not depend at the on time. context, though? Like, on that, in that scenario, like, you know, all right, so that, that you said has just diminished your interest. It, it killed my interest in it. But if that fighter was a champion or someone you thought to yourself, I can't see that happening. For example, if Hearn came out now and said, well, AJ spurred, sparred Fury and Wilder and knocked them all over the shop, you're like, when did this happen? How do you, you know, that would make, wouldn't that even make you think either Hearn's lying or would it erase your intrigue, wouldn't it? it so, yeah, uh, Chris Eubank a few years back left the Gales gym and said, he tweeted like, I schooled the Gale today. And the Gale was like, no, you didn't. That never happened. Stiverne hasn't really contested. He kind of half-heartedly did, but didn't really contest the fact that he did get beaten the shit out of by Joe. So Joyce. isn't isn't somebody saying isn't somebody saying um, oh yeah my fight or X fighter has beaten Y fighter blah blah pillar to post? Isn't that just a different way of promoting the fight? No, but potentially, not, but, but, but the scenario, the videos of Stiverne getting slapped about in fucking Shannon Briggs's gym, like. It's not a secret to know that Stavern would probably be a shit sparring partner because he's old, he's slow, and he's not very active. So I think my issue is Sam Jones is right. You've got to sell Joe as a killer. Maybe at the time they didn't think they'd be fighting Stavern down the road. Absolutely. So you've got to be careful what you say at any point. Which is true. But if he was there going, do you know what? This makes Joe look better. That's a judgment call he has to make in the moment. And then he's got to say to himself, I will live with the consequences of that down the line, which he had to when Stavern was like, Yo, you know, say something now. Um, so, so then... See, I'm, I'm, I'm in Joe two minds. From here? I'm in two minds about this Sam Jones role. 
for the record. Oh, like, okay, sorry. I don't think he's doing a bad job of it at all. I think if he... I would be very, very wary if I was Joe Joyce of allowing too much power to Sam Jones of plotting your career, plotting potential opponents, plotting career paths because there are people who have got you know careers out of doing that. I think if you've got Sam Jones in your team, and someone put it very well on Twitter the other day about you know boxers have strength and conditioning coaches because they don't know about strength and conditioning. They have accountants because they don't know about finances. They have cutsmen because they can't do their own cuts. If they have Sam Jones because they can't talk very well in front of a microphone, then good on them. It takes away that that requirement, that pressure. I love the idea of ding, ding, and then the fighter's in the corner with a mirror doing his own cuts. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like, you have all these different... um, segmented parts of being a boxer and an increasing one is the media side of it if you can get if you're not comfortable with that and you can get someone in place who is then more power to them okay, you look at football. So an, an example Mel- Melissa Tamakologli never said surname properly sorry Melissa who melt PR yeah melt PR doing the most um, works with the top ranked guys in the UK and the US I look at her and I, I've I've seen her in action so I've seen her working with Isaac. I've seen her working with Lomachenko. And it's all very structured. And I think unless you've got someone of that caliber, then I'm like, "Mm, what's the point? But you see what she does. It's all very structured. You guys are going to come in. This is when you're going to do your content capture. This is when you're going to do your interviews. John Denon, that's when you're going to jump in here. It's all very structured and run really well. So you get to manage that exposure. I think Sam and Joe are learning as they go along. And my issue ultimately is boxers need to stop being so fucking sensitive. If your ass got handed to you in sparring, why should that be a secret? You know, fucking hell, your ass got handed to you in sparring. You know, if, if it's a lie, then by all means come out and confront the guy. But if it's true, which Saturday, well, last night showed us it was probably true, then it's on you to get better. So I went from being anti Sam Jones to now being quite pro Sam Jones. Because I hear about all these people who tell you they manage people's careers and they do what's best for their fighters. and No, they don't, right? Sam Jones has one main client and he invests himself <clears throat> in that. He's got that Italian gauge as well. Yeah, about whatever. <laughs> That's how I feel about Italians right now. Um, but for me, he's doing a good enough job with Joe and... You know, I don't know what Adam Morley does in the background, but those guys, they're trying to stake a claim to the game. So I'm just going to say, look, keep doing your thing. As long as you're willing to live with the consequences, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm on the fence about it. Like we've said for ages, it's a good thing to, or people should at least try the concept of having a mouthpiece. Now someone's doing that. I'm willing to see what the outcome is down the line. But there's also another discussion I had with Umar's manager, Andy, who for the record, anyone that's looking to, to get their hustle on and up their game, talk to Andy. He's one of the sharpest minds I've spoken to. Like, really like a lot of the stuff he thinks and says. But it was this thing of saying, well, if you look at boxing now, and I think I wrote something about this on Facebook, look, trainers are managers, promoters are managers, and all this sort of stuff where it's such a murky world that sometimes you don't know who's looking out for the fighter and who's looking out for themselves. At least with Sam, it's very clear who Sam's looking out for. And I don't suspect he's going 
I mean, Sam's not necessarily going to shaft Joe. Whereas, look, you look at someone who goes, do you know what? I can't train you unless I manage you. Or if I don't promote you, I'm not going to manage you. Do you know what I mean? All of these murky scenarios you get in this country and other countries around boxing, promotion, management, uh, training, that we need that clarity. And I think one of the things the board's going to have to wrestle with now is, is that three-year rule necessary for a manager? I understand it for a promoter. I'd even dare say I understand it for a trainer. I'd rather you'd had an amateur license for three years before you applied to be a trainer or a second. But as a manager, where your role is pretty much about driving commercial value... I can tell you the, the counter-argument to that because I had the conversation with Steve Goodwin the other day about exactly this, the three-year rule. So when a boxer turns pro, they have to sign three years to a manager. Um, and then after the end of that three years, their next contract has to be three years. You can't have it for less. And the only way you can get out of that is to go to the board and prove that your contract, you know, hasn't been... something hasn't been managed or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I was querying the value of the three-year element to it. And Steve's argument was basically, look, it protects both sides. In the, If you're a boxer... Or say you're a manager. Mm. You've got... I sign Andy tomorrow. I've got three years with him. Lucky so, bugger. Johnny Flashlight. I signed Johnny Flashlight, yeah. right? He's come to me. Six knockout losses. <laughs> <laughs> on the bounce. <laughs> the next one's going to be his big one. All in 2019. <laughs> Hasn't made it past the second round. <laughs> but there's big, big hope for Johnny. Um, so as a manager... I want to get the best for my fighter. Now, if you're on a three-year contract, it's very different to if you're on a one-year contract. So what in, what's the incentive for me to invest in you for one year of a contract? Because I could put lots of money into you, and then after a year, you go, hey, brilliant, you've turned my career around, I'm off. Off where, though? Where are you off to? To another manager. Why would you leave if the guy's doing a good enough job? Because, okay, I'll give you an example. Steve has taken a fighter from relatively nowhere to the edges of the British title, final eliminator, into a position where they were going to fight for a British title. They were, like, the board had named Fighter A, the champion, versus Steve's fighter, when his contract was up. And then he got people in his ears whispering, I'll get you a TV deal, I'll get you this, I'll get you that. And he left Steve. Okay, but I'm going to ask you a question. In that moment, when you're choosing between A and B, was Steve offering the same things? No, he wasn't, right? Okay. Which, no, no. which is my point. So at that point, someone's saying, this is what I can offer you versus this is what you're currently getting. Absolutely, right? So, And Steve has no issue with that. So look, he this lad was sold a vision, a dream. Yeah. It never came off. I'm not going to go into any details on this. However, Steve started that journey with the kid mm -hmm. to go three years down the line and like invested his time, some of his money into him, got him opportunities, got him really good opportunities. Now, if you've only got a year with that person, what's your incentive to try and work really hard for them in a year? <clears throat> okay, so okay. Wait, wait, wait. but there's a counter-argument to this. Let's say you've got 80-odd fighters. And of those 80, really, you're, you're applying the 80-20 rule. And you're going, these five guys are going to drive my business. They're all theoretical, right? No, any inferences are purely accidental. You've got you've got a number of people here that you can bank your revenue on, right? They can carry shows. And then you've got other guys you just kind of manage. So I'm somewhere down here on the food chain and I'm like, 
I'm stuck with this guy for three years and I'm not getting what the other guy's getting. Why? That's not right. Maybe if I went to somebody else, I could get a better level of treatment. So it works both ways. If you're doing well as a manager and you do well for your fighter, it's an absolute wrench when they go somewhere else because obviously fucking that's a you that's an investment. But if you got someone who's less well, well but then I, I, I kind of think if you were the boxer and you were joining a stable of seventy nine people. Mm. You would do your due diligence. It's down to you to do your due diligence. Chat to some of the the upper tier, the middle tier, the lower tier of those seventy nine. Find out what kind of treatment they're getting out of, but you've out got to of know their them. manager. But you've got to know them, right? Oh come on, man! Boxing no, 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 circles. No, 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 no. But let's be honest. You, you've got to know them. Boxing circles. Number one, you know number how two, that no, works. And number two, there's some people that can't give you that insight because it's like I've still got to deal with the guy. So I, I look. I have these conversations because obviously I'm not affiliated to anyone. So I get a lot of phone calls about your I don't I think I don't think I'm being treated right. And we sit and we go, okay, what's going on? Okay. And then you go, right, let's deal with what we can change right now. Here are the things you can change right now. And then let's see where we are with those. And then you you I mean you move incrementally. Because I know of promoters who have tried to move management contracts, right? you know, trying to secure big name heavyweights and so forth, who have tried to secure contracts and have gone, right, mate, I've got person X out of their contract. Fantastic. And then that person's like, shit, I'm a free agent. And then someone comes out of nowhere and goes, you're a free agent. Come and sign with me. I'll put you on TV. And then what happens? That person ends up on TV. So as a fighter, and this is what I say to every boxer, you are loyal to your own ambitions only. And here's why. As a trainer, I can have a bad 2019. I can have a bad 2020. Doesn't really matter. 2021, I find the next Johnny Fashline. Right? And now we take over the game. 2022, I find another one. 2023, <laughs> I find Joanna Flashlight. Now I'm really locking the game down. No, no, no. Do you see what I mean? So You don't uncover that many diamonds. <laughs> no, no. So as a manager, you play a numbers game where you're like, if I've got 10 guys I look after, Someone will do something somewhere, right? Um, and if that happens, my reputation gets made. I think I, I completely get what you're saying, right? I, I'm with you. And every boxer should be looking after number one. And for the record, the lad who left uh, that I was referencing earlier, Steve doesn't harbour any ill feeling about. No, um, I've seen I've seen, I've seen them smile. Um, yeah. And so uh, it's, it's nothing to do with that. But would Steve have invested as much time, effort, money if it was a one-year contract with the lad and he had to try and fast-track him with the, the knowledge that after a year, he could walk away. And I think that's that's the balance you're trying to Give you an example. Um, you think I spent four and a bit years a double jab. Built God knows who. Name them. Built them. Won stuff with them. And I walked away from that. Why? Because I've learned this in boxing. Nothing's permanent. Just like I can have a lad come into my gym now, be an absolute star, train his nuts off. We all work together, do great things. And he fucks off to Repton. I can't do anything about that. But I can't let my own standards drop because, you know, as a human being, I'm like, no, let me be the best trainer I can be. The right people will stick around. 
And that's always been my ethos. And that's why I say, and that's when I learned boxing is a selfish sport because a kid will do that. You know, a kid will just leave you. Yeah. Go to another gym. Now they're not a priority of that gym. They're not really feeding the culture. Come back with their tail between their legs. But those lads, they're all looking out for their own interests yes. as they should. 100%. But I think that three-year thing, maybe make it a two-year deal. I don't know. I think you're right to question whether it should be three years. Well, for the record, I meant the three-year qualification period. Not the oh the before you become a manager yes right so <laughs> fuck that whole conversation was pointless no no it was worth it. <laughs> no 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 I, I enjoyed it so no, no. but no my point is so no, let's say for example us three set up a company right to manage boxers' interests I don't see why I should have to have a license to do that well okay I'll rephrase that. I don't see why I should have to wait three years because there's nothing I'm going to learn in years two and three so for Andy's reference what Terry means you have to have held any other license in the sport could be an MC could be a second could be a trainer manager uh, sorry not manager uh, promoter you have to have held one of those for three years and at that point you can apply for your manager's license so, so now I'm a trainer let's say I'm a trainer I'm a I'm a Joe Gallagher right don't really know anything about business I haven't really worked in a non-boxing environment before. What the hell do I know about driving sponsorship? What do I know about trying to drive a boxer's revenue? Not that much. So three years in any other position yeah. to qualify you for a manager's position yeah. is kind of just arbitrary, really. It's arbitrary. And to say you can hold any other license, you're like, well, I don't understand where the transferable skills are there. Yeah. Because, look, I could walk into boxing now as a manager. I am confident I could take any boxer guide their career it's not rocket science Martin Pre- you're on your way to doing it now yeah what to becoming a manager qualifying for, to, yeah. to, to apply to become a manager there's very little chance I'll still have my license in three years <laughs> <laughs> but, but so, so, so essentially that's the issue it's, it's more it's more let people in who know what the hell they're doing because you look at these big agencies right like first artists uh, IMG and so forth they're like, we want to work with boxers. And then it's like, well, I work with these NBA players. Look at the revenue I drive for these guys. The hell, do I, I don't need to do three years for you guys. And that's why boxers get the arse end of the stick. Because it's like, you've got to wait three years. We ain't got time for three years. And the revenue's not worth us waiting around. If you look at the guys who are around Joshua, how many of them have board licenses? Yeah. None. He's self-managed. Boxing's and- stuck in the past. I don't believe you, Terry. I <laughs> so- don't believe you. So the ultimately, the model will be, and, and so this is what's going to cause Steve problems. The model will then become, right, I'll do a three-year contract when I turn over because I'm not going to make that much money to begin with. After three years, I'm going with Terry. I, I will be self-managed, so all the communication has to come through me. He'll handle everything. Bang. That will just move the boxing model on. And all of a sudden, all these guys, these, these trainers come managers and stuff, they lose out now. Because it's like, eh. and then they and they won't even be in a position to say I'm not going to train you anymore. Because by that point, I'd have recruited my own trainers, man. And go right, we've now got we've now got our thing here. And I think that's that's the risk. If people don't start changing, they'll get cut out. Yeah, boxing um, feels to me look, like it's look, coming towards the verge of a massive change. There, look there at Dillian. Dillian's a good example, right? Dillian self-managed, and now Dillian's said. Hearn's going to struggle to find heavyweights. I'm going to hoover up all the big men, heavyweights, cruiserweights, even light heavies. I'm going to hoover all of these up. This is what the fans like. Now Hearn's got to deal with me. You want to fight Fabio Wardley, you got to deal with me. You want to fight Richie Riakpo, you got to deal with me. 
And that's been a very smart move by Dilly. Why? Because that's what Joshua did. Joshua said, I'm going to get these Olympians. So Hearn, Hearn has to deal with Joshua. Even if Joshua were to break his leg now and never box again, he still has to deal with Joshua. But there are boxers out there that work around the whole management thing anyway. So you just, you sign a management deal with someone. Um, and you just do it as a paper contract. That's it. Like there's nothing, all it is is to say to the board, yes, I've got a manager and I'll have them for three years. But they're not actually doing anything. It's just to, to meet a board requirement. On the assumption that you're this beautiful, is beautiful, what you're saying, beautiful. On the assumption that what you're saying is true, it's, it strikes me as odd that something like that, which if it is true, it is true. It's I dodgy. promise you, it's not dodgy. That's not dodgy. It's all in the rules. No, it's not dodgy. All the rules say is that you have to have a manager, and so the, you know a board registered manager. So you find someone that you know that you trust that you can say, "Can I put your name against this as being a manager?" Uh, whether you know they'll probably decide upon a percentage they'll pay them as like a holding value. Um, in the meantime, they get their actual, their management that they require, their lifestyle management, their PR, their promo, whatever, done These through an agency. registered with the board, though. Who? These people, that, they're lifestyle management people. No, they're not. That's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there are ways and means around it that people utilise. Um, can we move on? Is it possible? We've kind of, probably I mean, I realise we have... Digress slightly. How far this is coming. Well, this is it. Oh, we're hour at an hour and fifteen. Really? In and we've we've only we, we haven't even we haven't Eubanks. even touched on the whole essence of Saint Eubanks Day. <laughs> Actually, we're going to skip Eubank to Gal because there's no real interest in that. Well, we're going to move on to. <laughs> so we've got Eubank versus Peak to Gale. That's his first name now. It's Peak. not James. Peak, Peak to Gale. Gale. Peaky James. Who, yeah who's one of those many people that's come back better than ever from injury and then subsequently lost very unluckily despite the fact <laughs> despite the fact they're even better than they ever were Defense, no, despite funny, the fact that he was nicking the round he, it's funny because that's what Hay did he was better than ever wasn't he he remember? was he told us after his, after, when this, we know he wouldn't lie to the fans no he wouldn't he that guy is yeah he's genuine genuine class when it comes to telling us the facts of the situation and he told us face the camera i am better than ever even as he Somehow came off a plane on a was thursday morning from germany <laughs> to get his limping limping and he told us this is the best i've ever been <laughs> wheelchair wheelchair to the limo limp into the ring <laughs> dragging his ankle and i mate, still believed it was there man he was there just he was there do, doing the Hulk Hogan, just flexing everything. He was ready. And you're like... <laughs> 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 so the Gale was better than at any other point in his career last night. Which is incredible. It's an incredible feat. Fitter, stronger. An even more incredible feat that Eubank has managed to topple a peak de Gale, as we talked about. Who must have been, as again, as we've discussed, who must have been... Very, very tough, given that he's come back stronger after his injuries. All I want to start with is the running uppercut from Eubank. Thing of beauty. Oh. He's evolved the Instagram 4,000 uppercuts in like a minute. Dragon bunch! He's evolved like he's gone, he's merged all of them into a single uppercut now that he takes a run up and fucking hell. Like, how did the Gale stand up to that? It was sickening. Sickening, but 
ah man Eubank so, I'm just glad it's all over now um for 10 years I used to sit and hear about how DeGale was the greatest talent this country's ever produced and and I've never believed it because my eyes had always told me otherwise and people would tell me I was crazy and I didn't know anything about boxing I'd be like this guy's not as good as people are making out like he's not even developing and and so for a while it became like a real anti James DeGale thing and then I felt sorry for him. And I tell you, I tell you what changed my mind. And I had to reflect on this after the, the euphoria and obviously after saying prayers on St. Eubanks Day. And I go back to probably about a period between 2006 and 2008. James had a, like, it's probably one of the most intense rivalries two people can have. There's a lad called Darren Sutherland who's no longer with us. And James and Darren Sutherland were like the top two amateur middleweights in Europe, I'd say. Darren Sutherland's an Irish kid, London-born, but raised in Ireland pretty much, apart from some time in, I think it was St. Vincent. Super talented, small middleweight, but could really box and could really fight. So him and James, I think, fought three times in the amateurs, Commonwealth Games, maybe, European Championships and the Olympics. James won the Olympics, obviously, so he beat him there. Sutherland won the other two. Darren turns pro around the same time. After three fights, he commits suicide. And there was no more touching tribute than James DeGale's tribute to Darren Sutherland. And that's what I'm going to hang on to. When people talked about James is a prick, he's a dick, he's this, it was that tribute to Darren Sutherland where I was like, this is who the man really is. And when he beat Darrell, if you remember, one of the first names he mentioned was Darren Sutherland. And so I respect that sort of, that integrity, that humanity in, in him. And so I can't lumber the blame for DeGale's perception at him. I think his fans are just fucking deluded, to be honest with you. And they have been for years. But that will always stick in my memory as a measure of who the man really is. I feel James is a brave fighter, tough man, but a guy who won a lot of things against the odds. He was never the best amateur, but he was dogged enough, he was tough enough to grind out results. The mistake people made is they took a gold medal and assumed that this was like our Andre Ward. He was the guy who was going to revolutionize boxing and he's going to be super slick and this, that, and the other. Then he gets stuck with a trainer like Jim McDonnell, which is, it's like, it's like going to Ferrari, buying a Ferrari 488, and then just basically putting a fucking 3.5 litre V6 engine in there and a big Ford Mustang drivetrain. All of a sudden, this beautiful, elegant driving machine is just a big lump of fucking coal, essentially. And that's really what Jimmy Mack did with James. He took everything good about James and just kept progressively dialing it back. Into a 15-round fighter. Which he never was. He was And, and so, so, I'm, I'm, so I, I look at DeGale's career and I go, is he a great? And my answer is, his biggest fight to this point is still the first, is that George Groves fight? That's still his biggest fight. He won a world title against Andre Durrell, a guy who was battling mental demons, still battling mental demons now. He won it back against Caleb Truex. Got Caleb Truex, does he win an area level title here? Maybe. <laughs> 
So James has never had those fights. Yes, you fought Butte, but that was a that I mean a washed up. Yeah, yeah. We, we washed up. He was just he. No, he was. He was he where was the on Gale the back is of the now. Drugs, yeah. He, yeah, he's where the Gale is now. And then you've got Porky Medina, who they tried to tell us was tough until Benavidez got hold of him and went, nah, he's not, he's a paper bag. Then Badu Jack showed you what a real beating is. And all of a sudden, you're However, like, you got to give him credit yeah. for that Badu Jack Yeah, fight. he did draw the fight. He drew the fight. He stood and fucking fought. Yeah. Like, sickeningly. And that prop, that fight... I mean, that's probably the peak of James DeGale. That, for me, because strikes after, is, is his peak fight. Because yeah. after that, you move on to the, the Truax fights and then this. And I think that's quite a sad ending to I a career. I would Gonzalez was his peak performance because that was DeGale going after someone. Was that the Groves Frotch undercard? I think so. Yeah, And he just, sure it was. just ripped into him. But then when I saw the Badu Jack fight, and I was like, you're against quite a limited guy. He's a very up and down, tough man, but he's very up and down, very front back. And James couldn't be the the slickster he said he'd be. Dipping, slipping. It struck me at the end of that fight that DeGale thought that fight was going to give him something, like almost like it was going to change his career somewhat. Like people were going to be like, there he is. There's the warrior we've been looking for. If they they, brought, they him. brought him back to London, didn't they, after that, for the Caleb Truex fight. And it was um, DeGale and Lee Selby as the headline acts, yeah. and they couldn't sell out the copper box, whatever it was. Uh, this is a man who, he's not been embraced by London. He's I not think that's what he thought that Badu Jack was going to yeah. do, though, because he seemed so energised when he came out of the ring, despite the fact he'd lost a tooth, yeah. he'd broken his hand or yeah. something. Yeah, he seemed like he was, he loved that fight. Yeah. He loved that doggedness and that ability to show that I'm not just an Olympic gold medalist, yeah. I'm a hard, hard man. Which nobody's doubting that he is. And then it kind but, of but fizzled I, out. I think we get to the end, assuming this is the end of the career for the Gale, and you see people online going like, oh, people that criticise James DeGale don't know what they're on about. Barry from Barnsley or whatever. Fucking, fucking hate that stuff. Um, it's like we're not allowed to be critical of somebody. It's a bit like in football for us to say Joe Cole never fulfilled his potential. What are you talking about? Yeah, you've you never laced up Liverpool. a pair of boots. Like it's it's blindingly obvious Joe Cole never reached his potential from what we saw as a wonder kid coming through at West Ham to what he didn't achieve. Yes, he had a good career. Yes, he may have earned 30, 40 England caps or whatever, but it wasn't everything that we hoped it would be. Yeah. And I think that's where we sit with James DeGale. He wasn't what we needed. Yeah, we get told he's a two-time world champion. That's a fucking joke. It's only because he lost to Caleb Truax and then beat Caleb Truax, or else he'd be a one-time world champion. <laughs> but it's almost like there's more prestige in being a two-time world well, champion. He should never have had to have been a two-time yeah, world champion. I think champion. people clutch at straws. Again, it's, again, it's that yeah. injury thing, isn't it? I got to the end of my career having uh, never lost a match, and I did think to myself, if only I'd lost a match so that I could have won it again. Yeah, <laughs> but we, we were told the injury, the right shoulder was the problem for the Caleb Truex fight. And that was done, I think, in the Badu Jack fight. And then he couldn't throw the right hook, the lead right hook, against Caleb Truax. We were told the Achilles was a problem. He wasn't able to move properly. But we were told the shoulder was as good as, if not better than ever. <laughs> I love that. And I then, love that term. It's so bullshit. And then, how many times did he throw the right hook last night? I can't. I genuinely can't even remember one. <laughs> But we were told that that had healed. And so this is what I mean. It's it's quite a sad ending to the James DeGale story for yeah. me. 
I wish he'd have retired after that Badu Jack fight, but that seemed yeah. to reinvigorate something within him immediately after the fight yeah. that maybe didn't exist leading up to the Truax so, fight when actually, you know, the the healing process had to be done for all that damage from the Badu Jack fight. I, I want him to stay because I want to know what James can do with a new trainer. I I think he's too long in the tooth. Too <laughs> well, it depends on what you old. want. Him, I, well, it depends on what you want him to do. And here's this is the problem I think we have in boxing. We don't allow guys to shuffle down the ladder. You know, James has given us his best, right? And we've consumed that, and we're grateful for that. I don't I don't think he needs to fight world titles anymore. But you could put him in some fights. Look, how long is it until Hearn pipes up? and starts talking John Ryder, Rocky Fielding for James DeGale. Because you know he will. Like, you know the, the vulture that he is. He'll go, well, if James wants to carry on, well, you know, we could do a lovely fight with John Ryder, Southpaw versus Southpaw. Or Rocky Fielding, you know, Rocky putting a great performance against Canelo, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you saw people last night, because somebody tweeted um, Rocky Fielding about fighting Chris, like mockingly saying, oh yeah, for the IBO title. Um, maybe you could fight Chris Eubank Ugh. and Rocky Fielding tweeted back something about ah no I'll just fight his old man for his sheriff badge instead as if the WBA regular title was so superior Stingous. to an IBO yeah. title yeah. nah behave you know behave look come on you're both you're both belt losers no just expect to see that Hearn will start briefing he'll start going look I can make fights with the guy I can make fights for Eubank Jr yeah, come and have a look at my, my threadbare store. Whatever you want from here, you can have. But I think I, I don't want to see it because I don't want to see him lose to those fighters, <clears> which <throat> I think there's a high risk of. So, um, <clears throat> so, yeah, his career to me, if that is the end of it, I just think it hasn't fulfilled the potential. It's not to say it's been a bad career, but it's uh, it's certainly not been a great career. It's, it's just been a good okay, let a, me, a let good me, career. It's like a, so, so James has had the career I thought Bullioni would have. That's how I feel looking at that. I felt that Frank, if you go back to like his super middleweight days, you felt, okay, you get a WBO belt. Frank will give you a few defenses and stuff. You'll lose it again. And you, you know what I mean? You'll kind of float around, but we'll go, yeah, yeah. He gave it a go. He did well. He gave us some good nights. And I feel that's the career James has had. Just like, we've had some good nights, but if I line what you did up and what George Groves did up, I think George did it a lot better than you. I'm did. not convinced he did, really. Yeah, well, I'm not. Like we hold George Groves in his high esteem. Well, now, no, no, higher esteem than James. His unfortunate element is that he was paired with Froge. Like, well, no, that's fortunate, right? That's... It is fortunate in that he was more legitimate for those losses and the the troubles that he gave Froge. Um, Hall of Famer. Yeah, absolutely, he will be. Now it's unfortunate, oh, no, I mean George. <laughs> It's unfortunate for Groves because actually Groves was only a one-time world champion. He didn't bother to lose but, his title and win it back like immediately. It was, no, no, but it was the, the narrative of George Groves I felt that captured people's imagination well, more no. than it did to Gale. Okay, but if you look at personally. George, right? George has the first fight with Froch. You'll be watching that for years to come. Yeah. The second fight with Froch unlo- unleashes this whole super fight phenomenon in this country that Hearn has been trying to keep burning ever since. Then you look, he fought the, the fresher Badu Jack. And apart from the knockdown, but probably won every other round. You know? So George has been in, and Chudinov was no joke. Look what he did to Frank. Chudinov was no joke. 
And then you go in with Callum Smith and Callum Smith might go on to be a guy that unifies and stuff. Yeah. So sometimes you've got to measure greatness by who you're in with, not necessarily by who you beat. And that's my issue with James. I look at the victories, I look at the defeats. I'm like, who did you really test yourself against? When we wanted you to test yourself, you never got the Froch fight, unfortunately. Yeah, you're too young for the Calzaghi fight. You had the Groves fight, which you lost. But then you weren't in there mixing it up. I'd like to have seen him fight guys like Caleb Plant. That, yeah. That, I think I think the guy, the guy's going to... If he retires now, what's he got? 29 fights? Which A, is not enough for a guy of his age. And then B, you're like, not many of those... Not many of those pop out at you and go, oh my God. And, and even when you look back, like the very recent past, when he dropped that belt that he bothered to win for the second time, he then just threw it away because he didn't want to fight Who's the guy. Who then got slapped about by Caleb Blunt. I understand entirely why he dropped the belt because he probably wouldn't have got this Eubank fight if he'd have kept that belt. He'd have had to go through the Usta guy fight. Um, so I completely understand that. But yeah, it's just, well, Dave McGinley, I just want you to address this because you would have already seen it as you've sent it through to me. But um, Dave McGinley says, DeGale is not the skilled boxer, boxing technician he's been described as. He's okay, but he slaps his shots. His jab and left are very cuffing and slappy, not crisp. What do you think to that? Well, in addition, <laughs> a, Southport in the UK, uh, a Southport in the UK seems to be automatically described as some sort of magician. Counter to this... <laughs> I believe he is a lot tougher and harder than he is given credit for. So I suppose best to start with the the fact that he slaps and hard, hard to slap a jab. To be fair, like like you, you'd have to go some to slap a jab. Maybe that's where his true skill lies. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's hard to slap a jab. I don't think he doesn't work his jab like like you'd want him to. And and you, you know what it comes from? Like when you've boxed and you've relied on agility and reflexes, right? you've never really had that discipline of going, shit, I need to make my jab work. Because you've always been able, like, if you look at Roy Jones, for example, in his peak years, Jones would lead with a left hook. That's, that, I mean, that's literally like walking on your ceiling, Andy. Like, you're leading against elite level guys with a lead hook, sometimes a lead double hook. It doesn't make any sense. But when Roy's skills started to decline, then he needed a jab. And that's when he started to lose fights because he didn't have that discipline to throw a, a textbook jab. Whereas Hopkins... I think I need you to actually explain what you just said about Roy Jones. Like, explain to me in the most descriptive language you can, okay. given that I can watch you, but the listeners can't. No, so... So traditional way of... I'm I'm sort of <clears> thinking <throat> a, a boxer keeps another boxer away by jabbing. Well, You're no, saying the, that Roy Jones didn't the, do the way, that. The way you initiate your attacks is through your jab. So you've got both hands up. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as I feel I'm in range, I'm gonna let my jab go, right? Yeah. That's hard enough to do because you've got to figure out your distance, you've got to work out where the other guy is and what he's thinking. Roy Jones would be at the edge of your range, he'd have his hand down. His his left hand. Yeah, his left hand down. He'd pump his right shoulder forward to think that the right hand was coming. As soon as you flinched, he'd leap in with a left hook, like from nowhere, which is bang. Bang, and he's dropped people doing that. And and this is why people talk about Roy Jones being one of the greatest, because it's nigh on impossible to do that against someone who knows what they're doing in the ring. Because it's so telegraphed. But he was able to A do it so quickly, B set it up so well. 
because he's so so athletic. And I think De Gale had a lot of that in his early career where he could throw punches and be a bit unorthodox because he had the athleticism and the reflexes. But when you get older, you rely on your fundamentals more. So if you didn't invest in the fundamentals on your way up, you're going to struggle. And that's why Roy Jones and Bernard Hopkins had very different careers because Hopkins invested in the fundamentals from day one. So when he got older and he had to slow his pace down, he could work behind a jab because he'd always work behind a jab. Um, Martin, do you think De Gaulle is is tougher than he's given credit for? Oh, I think he's a tough man. <clears throat> Absolutely. I think <clears throat> I think there's almost like two schools of thought. One is that you come through the amateur system, therefore you're a very good boxer. The other is that you don't come through the elite amateur system, therefore you're a very tough man. So Eubank is renowned as being like a tough bastard. He hasn't got that Olympic gold medal. Whereas I don't think people give that same credit to a James DeGale. But why not? I don't think there's any reason other than the fact that DeGale has the gold medal that people think he's a slickster, a, um, you know, a, a very refined boxer. And therefore, you, it's almost a concept that you can't be that and incredibly tough. Whereas I think he proved in that DeGale fight, he proved it last night that he's a tough man. Let's be honest... <laughs> a lot of boxers probably would have taken the significant paycheck they were getting and cashed out by round 9, 10. It was heart and desire that got him through rounds 11 and 12 when he didn't really have to be there. The chances of him winning were fairly minimal by that point and actually he was going to go home with the same pay regardless. Um, and I think that toughness, that willpower, that doggedness and determination got him through the last six minutes of that fight when a lot of other boxers probably wouldn't have bothered. Um, then he goes on to say, David, uh, David McGinley, then in respect of Eubank, so moving on to Eubank. Oh, sorry, the other thing he said was, a South Point in the UK seems to be automatically described as a magician. What do we think to that? Well, in the same way there's people who can defend themselves are described as awkward. It's this really stupid thing commentators say where, you know, you know there's this myth that Southpaw's incredibly hard to hit. But it seems that most elite level boxers have no problem hitting Southpaws. That's why very few great boxers were actually Southpaw. Okay, it goes on to speak about Eubank. Eubank bringing in a new trainer from such a technical background as the Mayweather camp may actually be a bad call. He might not have enough time to actually learn slash perfect the more technical side of the game, but yet at the the same time totally dilute the more raw, reckless aggression, aggression, which I think has a huge amount of positives. I think we saw last night that taking away that raw, reckless aggression is a benefit. Um, I think you would have seen, when you look back to the Groves fight and how... Um, reckless when he got the cut <clears throat> Eubank and then he needed the knockout to win I think if you'd have had the same Eubank as a year back he would have gone tearing in looking for the knockout from round 7-8 onwards and I think actually having a more disciplined approach benefited him in that he was still you know he'd have taken the stoppage I'm sure but he wasn't solely intent on getting the stoppage he was just looking to damage the game. If the stoppage came, the stoppage came. He wasn't loading up on punches, trying to swing like 15 uppercuts into things. He was taking his opportunities rather than trying to force opportunities. So we've talked about a lot about the Gale. Um, and so I, but I, I'm, I'm conscious of time here, but I do want to speak about Eubank in yes. as much as, are we seeing... The greatest fighter ever. Are we seeing a 
TBE. A, a systematic improvement of Eubank. Is he is he likely can he dominate the division? No. Is he ever going to get to a point where No. no. Because it's not all there. Look, his footwork was so clumsy last night at times. Mm, I want to see him against an orthodox guy. So I'd like to see Junior fight someone who's orthodox and see... You can't tell me all the issues of the Groves fight have been ironed out and we only didn't see the ironing out process because it was a southpaw in there. So I think one of the great arts of training someone is more about what you take away as opposed to what you put in. So sometimes you just got to pare it all down because let's say Andy's a young fighter on his way up. Every trainer he encounters is going to try and blow him away and show how great a trainer he is. So you almost overload your fighter with stuff. So you do that two or three times. Like Junior likes to move around different gyms. So you end up having far too much in your head. A good trainer will just pare it all down and go, this is what's going to work for you. This is all we're going to focus on. If Nate Vasquez is doing that and... Because I know some of the guys that Nate knows, so like we've got mutual friends, guys like Gerald Tucker over in Vegas. I know the kind of boxing philosophy he comes from and is very much, you know, making good decisions. So he'll pare down a lot of the recklessness Eubank had before and you'll see Eubank try and do more with less. But I think this is the first fight doing that. And I think it's hard with the Southpaw because obviously the the effective range gets wider because your jabs cancel each other out. So against an orthodox guy where Eubank can get a little bit closer, will he be able to attack and work on the inside a bit more? I think it's a question. I'd like to see that. So let him jump in with someone who's orthodox and let's see what the decision making is like at that point. If he goes back to being reckless, then I'll worry then. But I always think against, against Southpaws, you have to, you have to fight outside your natural style. But it was worth noting as well that he negated a lot of the inside fighting of the Gale. The Gale's a very good inside fighter. He can throw uppercuts nice. I don't think he threw one uppercut last night. Well, but he's mainly because he just threw his head forward. It was just bizarre, wasn't it? So he just, rather than trying to, as you were saying earlier, working off of a jab, he was just leaping into that left hand or switching back to orthodox and trying to leap in, lunge with the right hand. He was basically trying to throw one punch and then grab with the other arm. So, and it was just, it was shitty by... It was poor refereeing. It, I got that buzz. Before the fight, I got that buzz. You know the buzz where you're like, yeah, this God. is a fight I really want to see. And I, I don't think you necessarily get that buzz until like 15, 20 minutes. Until the undercard's finished. And then you go, wow, like now I really yeah. am looking forward to this. And those kind of fights typically, 12 rounds feels like three rounds. Yeah. Last night, the first three rounds, first four rounds felt like one round. Like that time passed so quickly because you've like, you've still got that buzz. And And Gale got dropped. Yeah. And then rounds five to 12 were a slog, like a real hard slog because that ref was a penis. (laughs) (laughs) It was. And so Gale was just constantly wrapping up. And so he'd, he'd lunge in, head first, lunge with the shot, lean over his front foot, and then wrap up with his other arm. And then the ref would kind of let him try and work it out a bit and then wouldn't stop the, the holding and then eventually would just break. But I don't know. He must have done it. And I'm not even kidding. He must have done it 
60 times in the fight? Loads. If not 100, maybe what? three figures. Are we the... going to touch on the corner work? Well, uh, can I just quickly run through? Because I, I then <laughs> I tweeted something about it and somebody said, well, what about the rabbit punches from Eubank? And that's a fair point. Like, Eubank was throwing loads of rabbit punches. He wouldn't have had to or wouldn't have been able to had the ref been effective enough to separate them. Um, but yes, you shouldn't, you shouldn't justify the rabbit punches of Eubank. They were, you know... But what's he meant to do? If you're in that clinch and the referee isn't bothering to do anything, then, you know, you, you're going to do every means necessary. He had to police it himself. Yeah, and that referee was fucking useless. Whoever he was After should not be round, refereeing yeah. again. Third round should have been a warning to James. Like James, at some point, should have lost the point for what he was doing. He, he should have been warned by the third point taken off every round thereafter yeah because they ruined the fight that would have been a fight i think it would have been a better fight for james DeGale if he had just said Do you know what i'm gonna actually just have to box this out because he went into that fight from what i could see like trying to old man eubank jr yeah. and going i'm just gonna nick rounds so even if it's a 116 112 and you can't really tell how many punches i threw you would just feel like i was in control so i was just and it disappointed me but what I did like was Eubank didn't let him do that. So Eubank seemed to just know it because you could hear in the like in the corner, last 30. Yes. And he'd switch on. Which is There were I, really good mics somewhere around ringside, yeah. picking up noise you don't normally get. I really enjoyed that. I would, look, nothing made me happier than that moment where I was like, oh shit, they've really got they've really got Eubank working to a plan here. And the 30 corresponded perfectly with the 30 seconds on the clock. Yeah. Like you know, they they had that timed perfectly. And and so it meant that James couldn't old man his way through the round because Eubank would just jump on him. And I thought, that's really that's really clever. But 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 then it goes to show that's the difference in having a good corner versus having the corner that DeGale had, where you had that chaotic bit where you got Jimmy Mack going. I oh, got you, got you, you're, you're, you're one round down. And you got Malinadji going, you're fucking blowing this. You're going to lose this shit. And what point, behind. At what point did Malinadji join the DeGale team? He was there for the Badu Jack fight. So he's kind of been like a behind the scenes advisor. Right, but he wasn't there for the Truax fight. I think he was behind the scenes advising on that. Like, okay. So I think he's been behind the scenes. But what's really mental then is that he turned up looking like a homeless person. <laughs> so he's got like an oversized hoodie and a hat on, like a, a hoodie that somebody's donated to him on the way into the O2, and a hat on. He's got his beard going on. <laughs> and honestly, through the first round, I thought, is that Malinacci? And then, it, <laughs> and it was. But here's the problem. You're right. Malinacci's giving all the sensible advice, but Jimmy Max in the corner. And all Jimmy Mack would say, everyone was, Calm, calm. We've got a specific request for you to do the Jimmy Mack voice. Calm, calm, James, 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 James. Box beautiful that first round. <laughs> what I want you to do? You go your jab, your jab, yeah, yeah. Just slick, beautiful move, move, move. Calm, calm, James, calm. <laughs> when he was talking, and then Malinaji just going ape shit like motherfucker. You brought me down here to watch this <laughs> shit. What? <laughs> what? What do you mean, man? I've been texting and twittering bitches, getting all up in their DMs. <laughs> For this shit? <laughs> when Jimmy Mack was talking in the corner during one of the uh, intervals, I just started laughing to myself <laughs> on the sofa. My wife looked at me and I was like, you know when Terry does that voice? on the That's who he is. 
And it clicked. And she knew what I was on about. That impression of Jimmy Mack was brought to you by Stephen Mark, who asked for an impression of Beautiful James. <gasps> Look. By Terry. When is someone going to hold Jimmy Mack to account? Look, I, I've been bitching about these media outlets for how long, right? And all they do is they get their fucking stupid little views and little advertising asking really banal, pointless fucking questions. This young man has had his career ruined by a guy that, A, is impervious to change, right? Uh, how you still got guys running 500 miles in 20 fucking 19? And do, do anyone, did you see the interview? They, so they, they did like a day with James DeGale, right? Yeah. And the strength and conditioning guy was like, I couldn't believe the shit this guy was doing. Like, what the fuck you do all this shit for? And basically, it was like a veil way of going, Jimmy Mack has fucked this guy up. And at no point has anyone gone, Jimmy Mack, how did you take one of the brightest talents in British boxing and reduce him to what we saw last night? Like, there was no plan. There was no obvious plan. No. A discernible plan. It's like, almost like they showed no respect to Eubank Jr. And they were like, there's nothing he can do that will worry us. And then so I say, if it's not Jimmy Mack's fault, then clearly the, that the Gale is the tail wagging the dog. And if that's the case, then, you know, karma's a bitch. But at least now you can go off to Vegas, have a good time. We'll probably see him in Marbella or Ibiza at some point this summer. Might be fighting Joey Essex or... Uh... <laughs> oh, in Dubai, oh. yeah. But look, as far as I'm concerned, that fight, not even from like a James DeGale perspective, I think for everyone around him, I feel they failed him because that's a fight he could have won. And he could have won if he hadn't fallen in. If James had just said, jab, straight left, right hook. Jab, straight left, right hook. He would have landed those all day on Eubank. And it was interesting, Eubank barely used a jab himself. And it was almost like in not using a jab, he was setting a trap for De Gale to come in. And then he was just landing that counter right hand cleanly so often. And it was almost like he wasn't using a jab and therefore there's this space that De Gale could launch into. And every time he did, Eubank would just ping him. But you know the worst bit was, Watching Eubank Jr. touch DeGale and every time DeGale's legs were going, and I was like, wow. And he was getting launched back as well. I was like, wow. Almost like, do you know what? I was like, but DeGale's got a solid chin. And I was like, is there something wrong with his legs? So I'm, I'm waiting for the aftermath. I'm sure we're going to hear an interview and there was a problem. I, I'm, I'm Oh, 100% sure. Yeah. And it'll be the rabbit punches as well. They'll get some of the blame. <laughs> right, let's move on because we don't have a great deal of time. But left. no. On, on obviously on St Eubanks Day, we he have loves, to. He loves doing that. We have to congratulate, you know, the future living legend, star icon. If anyone saw the ITV cribs at his house, you'll understand. Oh Actually, yeah, yeah. Fuck Dennis Douglas. Fuck Dennis Douglas. You know we're talking. About, <laughs> you know we're talking about sparring before. What a snake! Can I put this out? I I actually think he was probably in on it all, Dennis Douglas. So. Andy, for reference, Dennis Duglin, former George Groves opponent, was over sparring um, Chris Eubank. And he was living in his house and sparring in his gym and then flew back to America three, four days before the fight sparring's finished, goes back to America, does an interview. He's like, the Gale's going to win this fight. <laughs> I think, and I think Senior was doing the same thing because Senior said during the fight week, like, I'm I'm not sure that my son wins this fight. I'm not sure because spiritually he's not in the right place. Listen, and, uh, and so I think I think they were in this together because 
and it was the the moments before the fight that was the giveaway because Eubank Senior did the interview with ITV just before the fight's due to start. Um, and he said, my son needs to be in a mental place where he doesn't think he's the favourite, where he doesn't, um, he doesn't, he's basically all through his life thought he can beat anyone and he's never seen anybody as necessarily a challenge, but he needs to feel like he's the underdog to see the best of him. So I think Eubank Senior saying that, you know, he wasn't sure his son wins, I think that was part of it. I think Dennis Duglin, I wouldn't be surprised if Senior said to him, can you go back and say that you think De Gale wins? Because then that raises Eubank Jr.'s game a little bit. That's but, how but, I interpret it. But also, it. how impressive is his sheriff's badge? Oh, it's beautiful. Like, game-changing. Like, in terms of, like, sartorial elegance, I think everything's been done before. Do we have, is there any context for this? Has <laughs> he brought it off of eBay? Or did he no, he's, he's like a sheriff. Is he, though? Well, I don't know, but but he says he is, right? No, he, he says he is. Therefore, he is. Like, it's, it's, He's I, spoken it into existence. Yes, yeah, I call it the law of Eubank. Whatever he says is true. Well, but, well no, no, because, no, no, wait, now. wait, no, no. Because he said, Senior said, we've been waiting for you. We've been seasoning you. He is the kitchen and I have the utensils. But that, that that interview now takes on even more significance. There's photos of him, like I don't know if they're selfies or not, but stood by like crash sites in America, like car crashes that have happened by the side of a road, and there's him stood with his sheriff's badge. <laughs> Imagine he fucking turned up and started taking witness statements. The guy is a fucking plum. No, he's not. No, you're he's you're not. a dickhead. You're he's a dickhead. Not. I'm not having he's that. He's not. So when he's he stands in the middle of the ring afterwards. Plum. He stood in the middle of a ring and he started talking about we have won a pay-per-view boxing channel. I think that was his words. Nice. Um, stood in the middle of a ring in a sheriff's badge talking about I've won a pay-per-view. Like but, it's a raffle. Oh, man. But, but here's the great thing about this. Remember when Hearn was making fun of Eubank? Remember like yep. in, in the aftermath of the Golovkin thing and they're like, look, if he's not on Sky, he's nowhere. Now... Fast forward to 2019, and that ITV show is comparable to any non-Joshua show. In terms of how you feel after it, Sky don't do anything better than what we saw yesterday. So Commentators. But do you know what? I had a Showtime broadcast. I, I had some of it on Showtime, and then that failed me a little bit, so I went on to ITV. But Ronald McIntosh... As bad as any Sky commentator is, they can't annoy me as much as, as Ronald Can McIntyre. we get Richie Gray on there, man? Like, you know, and I know those guys, you know, took shots at me last week. <laughs> That's brilliant. But, but no, no, only someone like, a, someone like a Richie Gray. Like, he's right. Get a fresh voice on there. I don't need Wood or Macintosh. No. I don't. I'm tired of this jobs for the boys. You know, when you watch BBC, and it, it's literally like a paedophile's row, isn't it? They all look like they're sex offenders. And I'm like, no, can we wow. just get new people in? <laughs> Fuck about. Let's just get new people in, for fuck's sake. You know, so guys like Richie, get Richie involved. Or someone else who's, I mean, even David Hay would have done it. He was there last night. Do you know what I mean? That David would have done it. Naz was there. And they didn't have him on. And they didn't have him on. We could have had Naz on commentary or punditry. And I thought Groves was a good pundit, by the way. Uh, yeah, but but he looks uncomfortable. Well, he can't wear a suit still. No, no, but but 
I'll go back to who I can't remember who sent me the tweet about where someone took took a dig at Groves' outfit and he's like, Well, how about I give you some money? You can get a bus so you can go and look at look it at in it. the window. <laughs> that was great. That's a few years but by that one. We yeah. need we need to speed up. We do. No, we don't. Listen, we do. No, 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 no. Do, you know, do you know what? When I'm in my gym, people are like, yo, you didn't do one last week, so we need some more time on this one. Well, you, they're going to get more time because we've run an hour and 53 and we've got like 27 questions. Nice. There, so. Good. You know what I mean? Listen, all night, It's mate. not great because I need to go and see my family who... Uh, if I may have to even leave you here, Terry, and, and Andy take you back. We'll see time-wise. Oh, wow. Andy's not up for that. Andy, why are you being like this? <laughs> I mean, you're like DeGale, man. You're driving slowed a lot in the last couple of years. <laughs> Right. Um, which two boxers, they need to be in the same weight class or close to the same weight classes, when combined would make the best fusion fighter? Something that needs to be considered is physical limitations. Uh, That's from Shah Mir, isn't it? Yeah. Shouts out to Shah. Indeed. Um, Richard Komi Vessel Lomachenko. That'd be fun. Um, in the same weight class. Or close to. Mm. Billy Joe Saunders Golovkin. 30-30. Brave star. So Brave assuming star. you want a Golovkin that goes around and slaps crackheads around the head down the street or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's the two parts you want to fuse together. I want Golovkin driving around Sheffield. <laughs> offering up <Yeah>. money <laughs> for hand jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Crack it, crack it. I know my job. So I know my situation. missing from Golovkin's character. <laughs> that would get him over a lot more. Um, Isn't it funny about that Saunders fight where they, they announced it's going to be this super middleweight WBO world title and then what's the WBO super middleweight's name? Is it Ramirez? Ramirez. I said, oh, actually, I'm not going to vacate it after all. <laughs> all right, mate. No, no. Do you know what I'd do? I'd go, all right, you fucking mug. Reward for that, you're still fighting Billy Joe. And he's just there like, um, <laughs> how about I go upstairs? <laughs> uh, Kevin Moore asks, has there been a worse time to be a boxing fan? Fights talked about but not being made, obsessed with percentages and constant shit diluted cards. Listen to this fucking casual. No, he's becoming no. becoming as toxic wait, as wait, just mugging off Kev. <laughs> nah. He, he doesn't remember Sky shows from like 2004. He doesn't remember the WBU days, the WBF like, days yeah. of, of Warren. There's some horrible, horrible shows that were put on Sky and other channels. Listen, right? So those orderly Harrison cars after he won the gold medal. We're living in like the, the best era. It's almost like if you look at human evolution, yes, the difference between rich and poor is wider, but as a population, we're all better off now than we were 100 years ago. We'd sooner live today than 100 years ago. And I think it's the same in boxing. I think the problem is that we went through a very rich vein, peaked by Froch Butte on Saturday fight night. Yeah. <clears throat> that was probably the last really, 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 really excellent on paper and executed Saturday fight night. After that, pay-per-view became a thing again. Um, and also 2017 was just such a good year. You remember when it, every fight we wanted happened, like Thurman Garcia yeah. and all that. You did, that was that was the Gale Jack as well. Yeah, remember? that's what opened the year out. And then Frampton against uh, Santa Cruz, and all of a sudden no, no, Santa Cruz was it? Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden we're getting these fights, and you're like, <gasps> this is amazing. And then we just fell off a cliff after that. I yeah, think that was the problem. Um, but was, yeah, um, Ben LOFC asks why won't. Um, AJ and Hearn 
wear down some of the AJ shows from the Wembley based on opponent occasion, uh, slash occasion. The whole Wembley or nothing has just surely run its course now. Is it stubbornness or greed that stops them going to the O2? Are we, are we just going to talk AJ in general now then? Uh, so I think that touches on a load of issues. Yeah. yeah so AJ yeah, Miller. Yeah, yeah, you can you can so, so we got Joshua let, Miller if you like. Let's go let's go all the way back, right? Whilst you go all the way back, I'm going all the way to the toilet. Wow. Oh. And he's and he's crawling as well. Mate, I fucking I was in A&E last week. We've been on crutches for however long. Fuck off. Let's <laughs> <sighs> say that as a hobble away. Oh. <laughs> no, so go back to like peak AJ hype. Uh, Anthony, any thoughts of going to America? No. This is where boxing is at. Remember Eddie Hearn was telling you, all the Americans want to come to Britain. They're seeing what we're doing in Britain. They're seeing the money you can make in Britain. They want to come here. We don't need to go there. Pay-per-view's dying. HBO will be out of boxing soon. All this sort of stuff, right? And he's right. HBO pulled out of boxing. But why did they pull out of boxing? Was it a supply or demand issue? It was essentially that they couldn't make any money from boxing. So it's a demand issue. So then now Hearn goes to America and goes, all the British fighters want to come here. And you're like, but you told us there's no money here. <laughs> so why are they coming from Britain to America if there's no money here? <laughs> why are they coming from Britain to America when they're also coming from America to Britain? <laughs> yeah, so, so you're a bit like, okay, Eddie, where's the money in boxing? And I think the reality actually is he's just drawing down on a zone overdraft. So... And the reason I brought all that up was to come to the Miller fight. There was an article I read this week, and it essentially said Joshua offered Miller like three and a half, four million quid to fight. And Miller said no. So DeZone stumped up the difference. So Miller's gone from being offered, I think the first offer was two million to Jarrell Miller, to now pocketing six and a half million dollars to fight Joshua, which is what Charles Martin got roughly for that belt. And he's also going to get a share of the UK pay-per-view for whatever that is. And here's why this is interesting. And this is for Sam O'Reilly, because I know he hates talks about splits and stuff. So I want to jump in on that. Madison Square Garden will probably do somewhere between eight and nine million on the gate. I think if you base it on what other fights have done in that arena, eight to nine million on the gate. There's no pay-per-view because it's the zone. In the UK, it's going to be on at three in the morning. So you're not going to do 100,000 pay-per-views. <clears throat> So what's the, what's the overall pot for this Joshua fight? It's not that big. So how are you paying Jarrell Miller $6.5 million in a pot that's probably 11 million tops? And they reckon Joshua's getting 20 plus. So, so you're, you're there going, well, who's paying for this? It has to be the zone or Joshua's not getting the numbers they talk about. Do you see what I mean? So we're in a position now where someone has to account There's for There's a billion this. dollars knocking about. Take it out of that pot. <laughs> and so... And, and and so I guess it shows that we're approaching the Joshua Cliff. And we've predicted this for a while. If you look at what happens next, and we should touch on the Fury thing in a sec, but Fury's gone his own way with ESPN. They're backed by Disney. They have money coming out of their asses as well. So he's now, he's now ESPN and BT Sport. Wilder's now ITV and Fox Sports. And Josh is now DAZN and Sky. So all of them are wealthy enough men that this is a fight for honor now. So this isn't even about splits. Yeah? Because you're now saying, well, if I don't get the deal I want, I don't have to, t I don't have to take this fight. So 
the fights between those three guys are all going to be 50-50 deals is my prediction. Because now look, Joshua fights Miller and IBF is going to get called because Pula has been sat in that position for too long now. Then a WBO has to be called. Uh, end of this year, early next year. They still haven't got mandatory, have they? Hmm? They've still not got a mandatory. Yeah, they could get a fight for that. That's that's probably the easier bit. Yeah. And then you've got next year the WBA will have to call something because it would have been two years. Whoever's so, a gold belt holder at that time. <laughs> step so, up. So now you've got Joshua having to do three mandatories unless he can pay people to step aside. So you're like, okay, where do you fit Fury? Where do you fit White? Where do you fit Wilder in? You don't. Meanwhile, those guys might go off and have their own little party fighting each other. So now Joshua's just treading water. Lackluster venues. Don't expect. Don't be surprised if we see him back at the O2. Like, there'll be all these lackluster venues, lackluster opponents, and he'll tell us, I just have to do my mandatories. No, motherfucker. You were offered 50 million last year, so you didn't have to fuck around with mandatories, yeah? So how about you remember that and you say to the fans that 50 million was real, I didn't take it because I now realize Wilder Punch is harder than anyone I've ever faced before. And maybe I'm scared of losing, not scared of getting beaten up, just scared of losing and losing this money. And my slave masters have now told me that I do as they tell me to do. Fine. All right. I'm okay with that. But we're at this point now where after this Miller fight, there's no fight to get excited about involving Joshua. None. <clears throat> that's that's the distressing thing about this so all these people happy that they're going to New York to watch Joshua Miller you're suckers you're the problem not the solution are there actual people that are yes there are. 1,099 pounds if you fancy it it's it's mad like I'd said a while back and I stand by it and I'll stand by it until any of them happen I am not bothered about a Joshua fight unless he fights Wilder or Fury everything else is just filler yeah. Apart, look, I appreciate you have mandatories and you have mandatories for a reason. So I'll give those a pass. But you've not had them. You've <laughs> not had to go through them and yet we've still not seen the fights yeah. we want to see. And every governing body is like, we'll step out the way. They're, make they're doing the fight. all they can. And I mean, Mendoza again, come back to him. Cunt. Um, you know, you go back to the the issue with Povetkin and when they were trying to make that Wilder fight. And then he started imposing deadlines. Oh, yeah. Imposing deadlines upon getting that Wilder fight made or else we're going to make you take the Povetkin fight. Yeah. So that isn't in your rule. I'm sure, I'm, I'm fairly sure that wasn't in their rules that uh, they could do that. But, you know, if you've got mates that are asking you to do that, to put the pressure on, then it's quite handy. Yeah. But, but, but <sighs> you've got three heavyweights who don't need the money now. There's actually no pressure on any of them. It's literally like, show me the respect I deserve and the fight will happen. So now Joshua's got to say, I'm going to do that because I'm still confused by this Hearn model because you know when he says the fighter owns the purses or owns the show? Yeah. So I'm like, what if the show makes a loss? Who owns the loss? Because ultimately, whoever owns the loss has to own the show. And I don't think Joshua carries the loss. Right, it's not. It's not. I'm sure there's no accounting loss when Joshua's fights are lackluster. So who carries that? It's bullshit. The fighters don't own the shows. Joshua might throw his toys out the pram and say, "I don't want this guy fighting," but he doesn't own the show. Does right? Does Joshua want to fight Wilder? After last night, I don't know, man. I'm. I'd still say yes. I'd still say yes. Will 
on that, will his frustration or impatience win out? Will he will he end up somehow pushing it through? Look at what the Americans are doing to him now. Then they're, they're doing the stuff our donut broadcasters here can't do. You know, Jarrell Miller's doing a better job of journalism than anyone in this country. And no one in this country has asked the obvious question. Anthony Joshua, do you have therapeutic use exemptions? Yes There's or a question no. about that, actually. That was amazing. That that clip of Gerald Miller. I don't even know bodybuilders who put on 20 pounds <laughs> and lose <laughs> muscle in six but, months. But you notice how no one shut that down. It hasn't been censored. It hasn't been retracted. Because if Joshua owns the event, like he says... You'd have just said to Miller, listen, man, like, you're fucking the money up here. Go and just put out a retraction saying you talked out of turn. That's yeah. brilliant. Absolutely um, brilliant. Uh, question for the bottom from Matthew Skelton. Why have none of the media asked AJ about Miller accusing the use of testosterone getting, uh, and getting exemptions for it? Yes, I want to know. We all want to know what these, like, what are these TUEs he's getting? What else is on there? Who else is on them? Yep. Yes. Yep. Like, 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 yeah. It's insane. Like, if, it's if, insane. If, if anyone from Fancy Bears listens to this, right, can you just hack into Wada Vada? Because they asked him, like, so I think there was the boxing voice guys that asked him about doping. And he was like, I'm on, I'm on the Adam's whereabouts thing. So I have to tell them where I am yeah. at all times. And I've been doing that since the Olympics. And, and what before. was brilliant was they're like, who's that? <laughs> who's Adam? <laughs> yeah, who's Adam? And so I was like, that ain't Vada though. And it's true, it's not Vada, because they know Vada will catch you. Because Vada have the secret test no one knows about. They'll catch you. But Joshua's going to regret going to America because these guys are going to ask questions he doesn't get here. Like ESPN pulled him. This is how little people care about Joshua. They pulled him. Because, you know, they do the, I think in America they call it the car wash. <laughs> well, I, th I think the argument there is that they have their own heavyweight now. But I mean, you can still cross collateralize, right? Well, why do they want to promote a zone fire? Well, you just you just need them. Go, no, where are you going to fight Fury? Once once you get Fury's name in there, and you get a Joshua. Nah, I, I can see in the context of signing Fury in the very recent past why you wouldn't bother with Joshua. But you would have known that before, right? So, so you got an appointment on a Thursday. They cancel on the Wednesday. You already announced the Fury signing on the Monday. You've yeah, probably, yeah. You've probably already known about the signing for about two weeks. But does the person that's in charge of that breakfast show, whatever it was, on ESPN, have direct links to the sports team at ESPN? I'd imagine at some point that news filtered through that, shit, we've got Joshua lined up and we've signed Fury. Like, somewhere in the middle, that's clashed and they've gone, nah, get rid of it. I'd like to feel that us and the elbow know each other reasonably well in organisation. Nah, I'm not, I'm not convinced. But I, I'm then, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm like... If you can move Joshua off your, bro your broadcasting that easily, he's not a big deal. He's not a big deal. Because I don't think I've not known them to do that before. Even people on rival platforms. It doesn't bother them because when you're a digital platform, all you want are eyes on your screen. If Joshua drives eyes on your screen, you'll get him on there. So you look at that and then they tried to highlight the fact that he did all these other outlets. But it's all stuff that Fury had done before. It's all stuff Wilder had done before. So Joshua can't even break new ground in America. And then he moves into this whole firestorm of fury signing with ESPN. So it's just going wrong, isn't it, for 
the, for, P, the PR side isn't working particularly well. No, because they thought they could just do what they do in England, in America, and be unchallenged. And now it just turns out, actually, you can't because no one cares about Anthony Joshua until he gives them a reason to care. And he hasn't done so. What? There's a question. Why does he not get a chance in the UK? Because the British media are renowned across the world for being absolute dicks about everything. Yeah, but most of the British media don't care about Anthony Joshua. No, like, so is that why? No, there's not no. enough people in But it's in a very small percentage of the media that care about Anthony Joshua. At a time when we've got politics and Brexit fucking around, like, is Anthony Joshua a priority to any media? Only, only for one week of every three months. And also remember, yeah. if that remember what will happen, like as long as Josh was a sky fighter, it gets problematic in terms of other things. So it's never just a boxing relationship you have, is it, as a newspaper or a media outlet? There are all these other relationships, all these other people you know. I am confident there are editors sat on Anthony Joshua's stories now, right? There are Anthony Joshua's stories on a hard drive somewhere in London. That someone has said, we can't do this yet. It's not commercially right. Oh, you know, Because our papers will get banned from the football well, press conferences or whatever. Well, look, he's sponsored by Lynx. We buy, they buy advertising off us. If we piss them off, all these sorts of things but start also, to get How many have got links back to Murdoch as well? Yeah. It all gets super weird at that point. So it's like, well, all right, we're going to sit on it for now. When he loses and there's no commercial value like there is now, those stories will come out. And, you know I mean? We'll all have a different view of Joshua. You know? And why not? Man, just just take the fall. If the fall's coming, take it. Like, don't be a hero. Well, because we can't have Jerome Miller as our only mouthpiece. Jerome Miller's the voice of every boxer. <laughs> Is there any hope in hell that Miller beats AJ? No. No. And AJ will look spectacular in beating him. Yeah. Hammer him. But you know, Miller's a pudding. Yeah, but but, yeah. but something I wanted to touch. I, on. I knew the answer to that before I asked it. But it's just a quick one to touch on. You know, there's been a lot of noise about Fury signing that ESPN ESPN deal for eighty mil. Right, it's a six, six fight deal if I remember correctly for eighty million. That's sixteen million a fight. I, th- I think it's guaranteed as well. So then you look at that and you go, Joshua can't be earning much more than that per fight. You know, and I know. That guys like Porky threw their toys out the pram and I think their view is if Fury doesn't fight Wilder next he's a bottle job he's a coward and stuff I don't think that's true I think there'll be some form of agreement between the Wilder camp and the Fury camp that the fight will happen I think it's just a question of what what's the process to get to that when there's talk of uh, one of them coming back for May I think the May talks died down now. no yeah, yeah. Look, because you're gonna just step into the the Joshua noise, the Canelo Cinco de Mayo noise. <clears throat> you're leaving that a very packed period of time. It's also gonna be amusing to what happens with Dillian White out of all this, because now Briazil is potentially getting moved into the Wilder fight, and so Dillian White was pulled from uh, the O2 show that they were talking about for April uh, to then be moved to fight Brazil in the WBC final eliminator and then Wilder Fury seems to fall apart and so Brazil looks to be getting the call up to fight Wilder <laughs> so it leaves White again with no they might give him Tyson Fury they might but I don't think they will I think we're going to get Pulev Fury or someone like that 
if you're pure level, you take that. You're like, no, I'm waiting for that Joshua fight. Yeah, I don't know. I tell you, we'll cause, see. Because he's mandatory now, like officially mandatory. I'd sit on that. Um, like Brazil, Brazil's done the same thing. He's just sat there going, Al's going to make this fight happen for me. I don't have to do anything else. Al's going to look after me. Yeah. Because I'm not going to sue Deontay. So, you know. And from what I heard the other day somewhere, it was, um, is April, that white date they had at the April 02. 20th. That's the same as Khan Crawford, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Keep an eye out. See if the next Sky pay-per-view is <laughs> headline Derek Chisora, Joseph Parker. Main oh. support, Dave Allen, Lucas Brown. Oh. Rolled into Amir Khan, Terence Crawford. Oh. Just keep an eye out. Um, see if it happens. Well, if, if I'm, I'm hearing Dave's out on the lash. so Dave doesn't drink, does he? What? <laughs> so I, I've had messages that Dave's been out on the piss. Well, no, okay, I'll rephrase that. He's been drinking. A worrying development. I'm also hearing that Hearn's not picking up the phone. So, will that April 20th date get scrapped? Don't know. Another deposit down the track. Well, but, but, but here's the thing, though. If you remember that Adam Smith interview with when he's with Hearn, just next to Hearn, and it's like the most awkward body language. Yeah, yeah it's brilliant. And you can see, because they go, well, I design coming to the UK. And Adam's like, well, when are they coming, Eddie? And then I'm like, but how the fuck did you let this happen? How How is this? What? Chisora Parker. What a shit fight. Anyone who It's an all right fight, but it's yeah. no pay-per-view it, headline. And it's not meaningful. Uh, right, okay. In the context of pay-per-view. What a shit yeah. fight. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. If I got to watch it for free, then fine. I'd watch it, but... Oh, my yeah. God. Then Dave Allen, Lucas Brown. I mean, that's not even worth talking about, is it? Let's remember. Ugh. Let's remember. Dave's best win is Nick Webb, who lost to Kamil Sokolovsky. Like, Kamil Sokolovsky's a York Hall fighter. He's got a sleeping bag there, I believe. Yeah. It would surprise me. Just chills there. Under the ring. Yeah. Until he's required. He just he's great, Kamil. Like, like the great. Undertaker. Um, so, do you see what I mean? Like, Dave... They talking about all this Lucas Brown stuff, but I said, mate, you're still area level in terms of the wins. When are we going to get that British level win? Fight Huey Fury. Forget, leave Lucas Brown out of this. Fight Huey Fury. Christian Alcorn asks, I would genuinely love to see a behind-the-gloves type TV program between promoters. Hearn and Warren are becoming as big as fighters themselves. Can you discuss this, please? Love Frank Warren. Mr. Oh, Saturday Well, you kind of got that. If you go back onto the BBC archives, you kind of got Warren and, and Ahern on the radio. Apparently, um, Eddie and Frank have still never met each other. Uh, I don't want it with Eddie. I want Barry and Frank. Like, I want the old stories. The the Ford Granada. I want, I want the people that are actually in charge. Oh. The ones that hold the purse strings. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. Martin and Terry chucking here are looks that would make you think, <laughs> almost make you think there was subtext involved in what they were saying. Um, I think to, to address your um, be great. point, it would be good to see that. If you go on to, there is, um, there is an episode of BBC Sports Week, and I can't remember when it is. It's about four months ago, is my was recollection. Well, the Hearn and Warren one. Yeah. It was, um, 
September last year. It was after okay. the Joshua fight. So somewhere around there, and obviously, I'm, apologies, you'd have to do some sort of digging, but Warren and Barry Hearn appear on it. Uh, Barry Hearn uh, flips, flip like blows a fuse and then says, I'll never come on this program again, yeah. after Warren starts calling him out for the bullshit that he's been spouting. That's when, that funny enough, is when uh, Barry Hearn said that um, any fight between Anthony Joshua and Wilder needs to fucking marinate. He used that word as well. And he also said, for three years, he mentioned, he quoted a timeline. I was going to be real for a second. Like, how's he going to use the word marinade? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's all very Essex thing. If you've ever like, been out with anyone from Essex, they don't marinate their food when they cook it. <laughs> Straight fish fingers, man. Like, come on, just fish fingers, chicken that's just been boiled till it's rubber. Go on, mate, get your chops around that, baby boy. Well, that's all bollocks. Fish and chips, you get, um, you get nice... Uh, seafood in Essex. I want Barry versus Frank in a, a head-to-head and that's a final eliminator for Eubank Senior. Oh. <laughs> and then the, the final takes place in some sort of dance-off for the title of Chief Sheriff. No one could he's take Eubank Senior that. in a dance-off. No, he, he's done that. What was he? Was it that Kumbaya he was dancing to? And yeah. He had, oh. he, had, he, had, he had the sheriff's badge. And he's what like, a fucking weirdo. What about the weigh-in when he fought Spike O'Sullivan? Like he was doing spins on the stage. (laughs) His son's weighing in behind him and he's still taking centre spotlight. (laughs) Amazing. Um, (laughs) Imagine you're not like, what's going on? And you're like, that's just my dad. Like that's your dad. (laughs) But then your dad's Chris Eubank Sr. So everyone's just like, that's the coolest shit ever. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Kev Morrow asks, rank the best five super middleweights this country has had? Uh, Calzaghi, Froch, Senior, Ben, Robin Reed. Is that in order as well? No, no, it's just five off the top of my head. Uh, Terry, got anything to add or subtract from that? Froch, one. Ben, two. Uh, Eubank, Senior, three. And I put Ben above Senior because Ben went to the States and did damage. Uh, senior three, Calzaghi four, because I still think Calzaghi's best wins are at 175. And then... Robin Reed's the last one, but like it could have been uh, Steve Collins. But he's... Is he British? Nah, I don't know. And he, and he trained I'm under, a soft Brexit man. And he trained sort of under same. the Petronellis as well. <laughs> so he trained... He pretty much trained in Boston. Um, so uh, yeah, fifth one, I'll go put Robin Reed because you know, he's a guy I've got a lot of time for. But... Groves just, I mean, he just shades Groves out of there. Michael Watson would be the other one. Okay. Um, Lomachenko, Crawler. You've seen Crawler get spanked by the guy that Lomachenko spanked. So why wouldn't you want to see Lomachenko spank the guy that got spanked by the spanked guy? His his issue, right? Make the fight. Fine. (laughs) There's two things. We're being told about British boxing is booming. And yet all of our stars, in very inverted commas, are getting shipped over to America. Um, Why aren't we getting Lomachenko over here? Why is a Ukrainian fighting a Mancunian in America? On the zone. Is is that on the zone? Yeah. I believe so. Well, Aram didn't even... I believe... Well, certainly in America, I think it's on the zone. Shows how little Aram cares. He's like... (laughs) I think. I may have got that wrong, but I think. But it's in America. Like if if British boxing is so enthusiastic, so I I'm fairly sure I might even Google it whilst I'm talking, but I'm fairly sure it's on the zone, and I think it's just a cheap way for Hearn to get Lomachenko onto the zone. 
being honest. Um, and maybe they'll do a dual broadcast. Maybe it'll be ESPN and the zone. But like, it's it's not a fight that's competitive. And here's the issue: like, you get all the people, Anthony Crawler himself, saying like, "Oh, why should I give a shit?" Like Barry from Barnsley doesn't think I win, um, and they're like, "I'm not going to let that bother me." Uh, cool, absolutely cool, Anthony. But like, people that think you're not going to win the fight aren't trolls. Like bookmakers don't think you're going to win the fight. Bookmakers are really convinced you're not going to win the fight. To the point it's like one to a hundred for Lomachenko to win the fight. Something crazy like that. And then I've got to sit there through a fucking interview going, at least I gave it a go. I'm tired of this. This is why I'm not paying money for boxing anymore. You have had this rant. I will just try to remind you to... No, no, no. Listen, I can add chapters to it. Don't worry about that. But no, in essence, look, when, when Crawler does stuff like that, it disrespects the fans. That's what I don't like. But then the fans deserve it because they're the ones who are going to enable us. They will watch it. Don't watch it. This is the kind of thing that you just denounce and you forget about it. Right? Uh, yeah, got- if only people used like their viewership as a voting tool, it would be so much easier to show the promoters. Well, like If, for example, Chisora Parker gets made, the problem is that people are starved of of boxing that they that they actually want to see so often that in the end they'll just watch shit and it's like you get you get a big pay pay-per-view fight night and people go oh fuck it i've got nothing else to do i'd spend 20 quid on a pub so i might as well just put it into my sky and then they watch it and sit there and have a few beers well look i'd watch Chisora park as a fight i'd watch i wouldn't pay for it but i'd watch it it's one of those fights where and we'll talk about this before. It's about sliding down the ladder. You should be allowed to slide down the ladder. Two guys, roughly the same size, knocking lumps out of each other. Happy days. I'm all right with that. I'm less all right with it being 20 quid on pay-per-view. I'm less all right with people telling me it's a serious fight and that it will lead somewhere for someone. No, it won't. They've all had their chances. Um, Krola Lomachenko. Well, it might even be on ESPN. I might have to take that back earlier, but yeah, I, I just, bet it still ends up on the zone somehow. Uh, do you know what? And I get the argument that like he was meant to be Lomachenko was meant to be fighting Commie, but Commie's injured and therefore he can't take the fight. So who else is he meant to fight? I'll tell you who, Robert Easter Jr. Yep. Fight Robert Easter Jr. There you go, that's your answer. For anyone that's like gonna throw that at you, who's he meant to fight? Is he meant to sit around on his hands doing nothing? No, he's meant to fight Robert Easter Jr. Far more competitive fight. To be fair, he could probably sit on his hands and still win a few fights. Where <laughs> um, we're at. So I've nothing against Crawler whatsoever, but I do despise. And you see other people, promoters getting involved in it as well. And I'm not talking just Hearn. People that are like, oh, Barry from Barnsley saying that he's not going to win can fuck off or whatever. I'm like, Barry from Barnsley is the one who pays your fucking wages, so fuck <laughs> off. Do you know, it's a sad part of boxing. Like you're seeing people just writing stuff <laughs> and they're just, and they're just, they're so just, angry. they're just there going, look, all you lot, that we come to for money. We just want your money. We don't want you to think. We don't want you to talk. Yeah. No, look, listen. Certainly not publicly. Yeah, listen. If you don't want me to talk, stop trying to sell tickets to me. Right? The minute you try and sell tickets to me, it's a two-way dialogue. You can't pick and choose. You sensitive motherfuckers. Do you know what or, I mean? Or if they, don't, if they want to go into the future with a business model and plans without releasing any sort of... Like with football, for example, with rugby, 
with any other sport, there are fixture lists. So fans complain about certain things, but in terms of like paying for their tickets, for their viewership, they know what they're paying for at the beginning of the season. And they I have a choice. Yeah. So so when you, I mean, all right, you have a choice to pay on the pay-per-view. You have a choice to um, to buy a ticket to an event. But when you don't, or you see, or you feel like you've been misled for what you were originally advertised, that's when you're going to complain. Yeah. But and then the they, don't want, they don't want to hear that. They just want to, like you said. For example, rugby, right? I can sit at home and get a text message from Chris. And Chris will say to me, look, Harlequins are playing Saracens. Do you fancy it? I immediately can make a calculation of value here. That's a fucking good game. Yeah, I'll do that. I'm or- sitting around at this kid's party earlier, chatting to one of my wife's co- uh, cousins. And he's saying about he's going to the Spurs-Arsenal game next week. Does he want me to use his one Hotspur membership to go and get two tickets for me and the wife? I'm like, yes, okay, you give me the cost. I weigh up in my head. I can get to York Hall after. It's Spurs-Arsenal. I'm not really that bothered about the cost. Yeah, of course I want to get there. Yeah. Exactly the same thing. Now, apply that to boxing. So so a pay-per-view, so here's a pay-per-view. A pay-per-view is like, here's the equivalent of the pay-per-view. Right, I've got a game for you. A versus T. And you go, okay, let me just sit on it for a bit. Okay, two weeks later. A, R versus T dot dot T dot 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 H dot dot M. And you're like, okay fine and that's how because you know that's how they build it out for you until you eventually get to oh, Arsenal Tottenham now you've got to make a decision you know for fuck's sake just just line it all up I wish promoters would do that go look on this date here's the pay-per-view card and we know on day one and we can challenge it then at least it gives them time to go and revisit that and go actually that's horse shit oh right sorry I mean, you I, had I, your I, hand up I like we have, I need to nail this. There's literally like boxing fan asks uh, Clayton one one eight zero, is Phelps there to look good, or <laughs> is Phelps there to interview boxers or to look good? I think the line is being crossed. I've nothing against Michelle Joy Phelps. I'll be honest. She's blocked on my Twitter. Is she? Yeah. I've I've nothing against a woman whatsoever. Like, uh, do I watch her work? Never. No. I've never watched an interview with Michelle Joy Phelps, but there are some people out there that will get some value out of that because she's, you know, easy on the eye and what have you. But it doesn't do anything. All I ever see is that she's interviewing Billy Joe Saunders about once a week. Look, <laughs> I don't know what else she does, if I'm honest. I, 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 tell you, I tell you what she has done, though. She's made Ty and Booth relevant. Like, if you remember, like, Ty and Booth was the pariah after the Scott Westgarth thing, right? But then you look at the videos he does now and he's up to the 50,000 mark where you're like, you're approaching like those sort of sub IFL levels. And all he does is sit there and poke fun at the hypocrisy and bullshit in boxing. So we do. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and, and so people like Michelle Joy Phelps, by not doing their job properly, give fuel to guys like Tyan Booth. That's why, to be fair, I listen to the IFL interviews because in the time that I have, Coogan's been consistently good. Umar's definitely stepped up. I don't know who gave him a talking to, but he's delivering. And they've got someone else there who's doing the interviews. And I'm like, it's good. I don't need to see another platform now. Because, you know, look, we tried to get behind other platforms. They didn't put us on. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to go with what I think quality is now. I'm not trying to help no one else because no one's trying to help this platform grow. 
<laughs> That's how I look at it. If you're not trying to help my platform grow, I can't come to you. I've got to go to, what do you call it? The flights to quality. And IFL have been doing it longer. They're just better than if everyone you're not else. Help, if you're not going to help my platform grow, then I'm going to not help your platform, bro. That's, that, nice. that's kind of a spin. Oh, my you, God. Yeah, that, they, we've I been here too get, long. Get that on a T-shirt. Right. The only question we've got left to answer is how we, how we got together. And there's not really much to it. I mean, originally, I remember you saying to me on a message that you wanted to spend 20 minutes doing this. Imagine that's come down significantly. <laughs> <laughs> I'd estimate about 90%. <laughs> so, yeah, no, somebody inquired the other day about how did the podcast come to... And so this isn't going to be about boxing at all. So, A, if you listen to boxing, you probably listen to the wrong podcast because don't chat about most of it anyway. Um, but B... Or we complain 90% of the time about Yeah, feel free to turn it off now because this won't be about boxing. This will just be the human interest side of it. But Andy and I have known each other since we were 12 12 years old. We're now 36. So, you know, we went to a good school. That's 27 years. years. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We met each other in school um, and have shared many, many years of friendship, beers, just shit that men do when they grow up and experiments i mean uh yeah i mean <laughs> he's touched mine i've touched his it's all that kind of stuff so just many 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 years of it uh, i'm learning oh, we as well oh, we haven't actually gone into the uh new age boxing initiation yet with you terry <laughs> <laughs> and then can't be worse than my gym will fix it initiation <laughs> help me milk a cow blindfolded <laughs> Imagine though, were that the case, imagine how uncomfortable he'd have to be like arched over. Just... <laughs> I've got to keep up the pretense. Maybe that's where maybe that's where it came from, the whole <laughs> I might be a horrible pedophile, but I'm not a bad actor. <laughs> you look a pantomime outfit. <laughs> just in case the blindfold slipped. One, one other. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> um, so yeah, Andy and I have spent many years... That Actually, that conversation sort of sums up a majority of our upbringing. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, yeah, we met at secondary school. Um, <coughs> yeah. Fast forward a number of years. I got bored at work with the way that a company was making a website for us. So I thought, I can make a website. And so I made a boxing website. I didn't really know what to do with it. I enjoyed boxing. I've loved boxing for years. So I just made a boxing website. Started writing things about what was going on in the current state of the sport. And then Andy, you wanted to make a podcast, didn't you? I got a feeling that it was something like you'd done it and you fired it across to me and sort of said, look, I know it's a bit sort of out of the blue, but what do you think to this? And I, I, I remember I sort of looked at him, oh, yeah, well, I don't, I mean, this won't come as a shock to anyone listening to this, but I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to boxing. So yeah, it looks good enough to me sort of thing. And then I said, look, if you ever fancy, because I had always had an appetite to do a podcast, avid listener of podcasts. So I said, I've always wanted to do one. If you ever fancy doing one, do it. And then I think it was about 12 seconds later, you said, let's do it then. Yeah, because I'm quite <laughs> impulsive. Like, yeah, yeah. if someone says, do you want to do something? I either do or I don't. There's yeah. no, like, the only thing that ever holds me up is childcare. That's typically the only thing that will yeah. stop me doing something I fancy. Um, and so we we put it together one day. Like, turn up at Andy's house. I think I'd gone to Maplin to get some microphones. Literally clueless. Yeah. Like, yeah, no idea. Sound, the first podcast we ever did, which I don't think you can get hold of now, Shame. probably thankfully, um, 
that it sounds like we're doing it inside like a tin out uh Kazi sort of thing, you know, like yeah. It really does sound awful, but I I had no idea about like uh, post production. I had, I didn't know anything about editing, like nothing. So it just sounded awful. Yeah. So we we just carry on doing it to like twelve people in a week. We used to get excited when it hit like ten. Yeah. And then yeah. fifteen, twenty. I, yeah, I remember thinking like at the very beginning, like twelve people have listened to this. Two of them are me and you, potentially four, given if we've listened to on different platforms. Because I don't do it anymore, but at the time I gratuitously listened to us, our, our own voices. <laughs> I would I usually listen to it to listen back and think what's good and what's bad. Yeah, and what still, can we do next week? And I don't I listen do, to it at all anymore. I do sometimes, but... I think it's shit. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, but then it started to grow. And then I remember when we hit 100 listeners and it was like, can you imagine if we hit 500 listeners? Yeah. Then, then about we got to 2 million <laughs> listeners and I was like... <laughs> <laughs> then I've got a billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> do, you know, do, do you know at this point people are listening going, how the fuck did Terry get involved? So, so one day, right, out of the blue, because I don't use Facebook very much at all. And then one day out of the blue, I get this message on Facebook of a Terry Chapandama. No idea. Not, not, not the real one. Yeah, just, not, not, not the real Terry Chapandama. Just Chapin 50 Dama. cock shots. <laughs> Like, what do you want, Terry? No, no idea who this motherfucker is, right? So he's like, open it up. And I don't really look at my Facebook messages that much because Andy will testify to this because he's got access to the same New Age boxing Facebook thing. That you get so many messages from people trying to sell you boxing gloves because it's got boxing in the title. Yes. Um, yeah. Like some dude from India wants to sell you like a job lot of... So anyway, I get this message from a Terry Chapandam. I'm like, open it up. It's a great and, name. And it says... Um, like I've listened to your podcast. I'm like, well, wow, it's a good start. Um, and then it says something along the lines of it. It's not verbatim, but it's pretty close no, I, to. Got, I, I think I, I remember as well. I, I want to come. Along. How do I get on it? I add value. I'm like, who's this cocky fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I add I'm, value. I'm, I'm like, out of the blue. When am I going to get my sort of time or something like out that? Out of I'm, the blue. Yeah. To this day. Yeah. <laughs> to um, this day. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, cool. Like, at the time, it's only Andy and I. And so, yeah, I'd say to Andy, I've got this this dude. Like, So I think you and I exchanged numbers, Terry, didn't we? Yeah. And then, I went for a walk around the lake at lunch at work and spoke with you. And then you were like, yeah, okay, I'll come up Sunday. I'll be there. And that was it. Like, I assumed it was for one week. Uh, genuinely, I think I had this conversation with Andy. I'm like, this dude Terry's going to come up. I'll pick him up at the train station. He's coming from London. It's a hell of a commitment. Cool. And then I get a text the next week. Like, are we on the same plans? <laughs> I, I genuinely didn't think you were coming back. I'll be honest. <laughs> It's a one week only. Again, I can't. That's two years ago. I can't remember the exact conversation, but we would have had exact. We would have had a conversation on the lines of "This ain't gonna last." Who the hell is gonna come up from London to get on our crappy podcast? Yeah, especially when we realised you talked since as well. It was like, um, so that was like two and a bit years ago. So we met Terry completely out of the blue. Yeah, completely. Like I was thinking about this on the way over actually. it's a, I don't know, a soppy point, whatever. But like encouraging people to take a chance on doing something. Because I, I don't even know what encouraged Terry to message us. Or if he'd even yeah. listen to the podcast, whatever. And we'll come on to that in a sec, I guess. But 
for people to take a chance on doing something. There are so many reasons not to do things in life or so many reasons to turn down opportunities because you don't think anything's going to happen with it. And it would have been so easy to read that message from Terry and go, no. But instead it was like, he's taken the time to write this message to us. The least I can do is go and pick him up from the train station on Sunday. If this shit never works out together, absolutely fine. The fact that it's actually blossomed into a really cherished friendship, like added to Andy and I, is Terry. It's something that like two years ago, I never even met the dude. And yet now is somebody that I'd consider a really close friend. And just to anybody that would take an opportunity or somebody that might turn down opportunities because they don't necessarily have a reason to try them, just try doing something like that. It was also, in, in my mind, with 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 you and I, you know, we had, when we were talking about things, I, I could add the question, I could add the, the layman's perspective as I've always done. And I could ask you questions. You know, between us, we had... In terms of in terms of like a Call of Duty reference kind of thing, we've got we've got a gun and we've got a sidearm and we're fighting our way through it. When Terry came along, it was like attaching a grenade launcher to us <laughs> <laughs> that we could just like fire in bombs and it would set off explosions and it and it added such an extra dimension. It did feel exactly like a third dimension had been added to the podcast. Not only did we have Martin's um well at the time at the time there were more opinions from a fans, a dedicated fans perspective, which has morphed into far more of a um, of journalist side of, of things. <clears throat> Whereas you look at um, Terry came from more of a, a technical background, which neither me or Martin at the time, at least, could give any sort of perspective on. And then as we've sort of add, as we've come from there, we've grown together, and and you know. I'm sure there are people here that will think this is a bit soppy, but like on on that basis, we have now it wouldn't feel right if it wasn't us three. Don't to me. And I just want to say, throw <laughs> it to Terry because I've got no idea. I've never asked the question of like, how did you end up messaging us? So I tell you what, I was I can remember it's probably about Easter, and you're looking at all the stuff that you're up to. You're like, and. Joe, you head, you're like, because I'm like, okay, I've got the lads I train. I've got the pros I work with. You know, I've got all the other stuff that happens in boxing that you you touch into your mates and so forth. But I was like, I'm just, I'm just a name that's known to a very small group of people. And I was like, but I've got a lot to say. You know, when you're in your head, you're like, I've got a lot to say. And then I was like, do I do a podcast myself? And I thought, can I find two mugs? <laughs> the mic set up for me. No, no, no. So no, 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 no. no. So it's not even that. So it's, it's, it's a whole thing of, yeah, I could buy the equipment. I could do all that stuff. But I'd end up just being a, a ranty sort of angry guy. And then, then you look across at right. the group of people you know and you go, can I do, who can I do? And you go, no, no, no. I said, actually, do you know what? I need people I don't know. So here's where I have to thank Winnie. Winnie gives me the best life advice, like, ever. And that's why she's one of my trusted friends. And you're like, fucking hell. And I spoke to her about it. And I was like, look, I need to do it. Here are my options. I can go in alone. I could do it with mates, but then that will become problematic. It's like living with your mates at uni. And I was like, what I need 
is good people who are already doing it that I can that I can get involved with, and then we see where it goes from there. Which was the riskier of the three options. The other two, I control the variables. The third one, I don't. But then I thought, I, do you know, and at, at that point there, you have to really back what you say and what you believe. And so, quick conversation. She was like, do it. I was like, okay, cool. And I only picked one. Like, I only messaged one podcast. One. I was like, let me just say, let me have a quick listen. Then he came to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, 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 so I kicked back and I listened and I went, yeah, I like these guys. I can do this. That's when it was. Do you know in your head, it's not even a scientific process. And I know people will want to find a really laborious decision-making process. Like you filtered out dozens. Because there were so many. Do you know, it, do you know, it wasn't even that. I don't filter. Like, I listen. It's the same way like with music. Yeah. And then I don't look at I don't look anywhere else. It's how I pick women as well. Like, I don't... <laughs> I just... I'll, I'll, be sat, I'll be sat in the house party just... Do you know I mean? Drinking. Uh, you. And I'd be like, her. <laughs> then that's it. Like, I won't talk to anyone. I won't focus on anyone else. And then that's it. Ski Done. mask on. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, straight back on the register. But, so then it happened. And I was like, oh, shit. And you know, at that point there, like, when you've committed to something, you're like, what if I bomb? You, you honestly, you're like, what if I bomb? And it wasn't until I started speaking. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. And then after that, it started to spread in like my network and people were like, actually, you know what? Why aren't you this funny in real life? Why aren't you like this in real life? It's been good in that sense, but it's also been really, really bad. Sometimes where I've had to be held accountable for what I've said, but it is what it is. But I think the key thing I take from this, because I get asked this all the time, why do you go to Milton Keynes? I say, do you know what? For about half an hour before we even start recording, it's a catch up between friends. It is. And, yeah. and so that, that's like, the, that's almost like the hit. Do you know what I mean? That's the hit mm. you get. Else we go going and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, we have a laugh and a joke. Like I always say, like some of the funniest shit that gets said doesn't get recorded. So you come in and it's just like, nah, it's, you know what I mean? You come in and it's that social thing whereby it is literally mates doing a podcast. Like we don't, we're not trying to trust dicks in our shit or anything <laughs> like that. There's it's, no science behind it. Yeah. Just mates doing a podcast. And, and I think that's the reason it works. Because when you're listening to this, you're like, that could be my local. That could be the lads sat in the pub garden on the, in the summer. And you know what? I'd have a drink with them. You know, or I'd want my sister to, no, nah, actually, no. <laughs> Sorry, I got ahead of myself. But no, for me, it was just very simple. It's something I wanted to do. And I think I speak for us three when I say, this will always be the core. But I think ultimately, if you look at it, you know, Martin has his natural bent and he's more journalistic. Andy's got his bent, which is more towards the performance side of stuff. Oh, I wonder what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas with me, like, like these guys hear me say it all the time, I love being in the gym. I love being in the gym. I love being around fighters. I love that. That's what puts a smile on my face. You know, I love that. It, it, there's... It's what boxing means to me. So when I come on a Sunday, hopefully that's the perspective I bring. A guy that's just in the trenches because he enjoys being there. And I just provide that perspective. You know, I'm sure over time we'll still do this and other things will come up. You know, Andy will become a famous singer. You know, Martin will be, 
Martin will be on world. BT Sport. <clears throat> I mean, he'll be working closely with Frank Warren and stuff. And <laughs> can I mean, you remember, Frank? Can you remember when you tried to? Yeah, I do remember. <laughs> working with, in a court with, it's kind of the same stuff, isn't it? And I, and I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure over time, like we'll, we'll all we'll all kind of have interests that pull us. But a lot of it's from what we learned doing this. Like I always think of this as like the Wu Tang Clan. Like like this is this is the Wu Tang bit, and then we'll, you know I mean Martin will do his Capadonna solo album, Andy will do his Juan <coughs> solo album. We'll all kind of do that. Then we'll all come back and do this. I think more like Sugar Babes, but you know how they just rotate. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to News Politics Podcast with me Ben and with because me today James and Fred. Because for a little while we had Harvey, R.I.P. Yeah, Harvey. Johnny yeah. Flashlight, he's... Yeah. Mate, what happened to your cat? What cat? You had a cat. Oh, you oh, did that, have a cat, That was you? Joey, yeah. He, was, he belonged to Ash. Oh, yeah. What happened to Ash? <laughs> <laughs> he belonged to uh, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> Where is weird. Ash? Ash lives in Newport now. Newport Park. Is he still Ash? Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. What, do you think he had a sex change or something? I don't know. Although, he could still be Ash, even if he'd had that, <laughs> to be fair. So it works with the name Ashley, isn't it? Can I go home? But I think, I think I think hopefully that summarizes it, man. Like and and I say this to people, <laughs> just just go and do shit. Like the old days, a lot of people who listen to this are probably you know old enough to remember the days when you just went out and did shit, and incredible stuff happened as a result of doing it, mate. Just do it. You don't know the outcome till you start. And it's more about the people you meet through doing it. So like I set up a website because I was bored one night. At that time, I didn't have connections within boxing. I don't have... I'm not saying I'm the most connected person in boxing. Sounds to me like you're saying that. (laughs) I have met so many fascinating people through doing that as a result of it. And through saying to Terry, yeah, cool, come up and I'll pick you up. I've no idea who the fuck you are. But if you get in my car and murder me, it probably wasn't a great idea. But (laughs) that didn't happen. What happened was a really, like, cool thing. And... And, and look at where we are now, just by being consistent. Like, look at the, the numbers don't lie. Like, it's just it's year on year growth, man. Like, and that's down to everyone that's listening now, because you believe in what we do. And that's what we try not to dilute, is that thing that we just give you our honest view. We also tried to be true to what we started out with, which was two blokes in a room, which subsequently became three. No filters, just saying what we thought not trying to pretend to be anything. At the very, very beginning, I knew absolutely nothing about boxing. You know, I, I'm not... Some things don't change. Yeah. <laughs> I know very little, very little more than that now. So, and I, but I don't try to be anything else because I, I couldn't pull it off. I once saw someone... I mean, there's still the, the iTunes review that we've got oh, where yeah. somebody was slating you. And I've seen you slated in various tweets, like various things of like, oh, is that the podcast with the guy who knows nothing about boxing? <laughs> so... Yeah, it is actually. But do you know what? It's yeah. because we're mates. Yeah. Like, I wasn't. I wasn't. We didn't start a boxing podcast because Andy was a boxing aficionado. We started because we were mates and we had nothing yeah. better to do on a Sunday evening. It was a great hey, excuse hey, to catch Andy, up. Quick question, mate. This picture of the three here. Yeah. He's referring to the love wall. Uh, well, the one in the middle isn't. That's... Yeah, I know that for sure. <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll see when I get downstairs. Uh. uh on the right, no. On the left, yeah. Blonde and brunette, which way? I'm oh, gutted, mate. I've lost out then. No, so yeah. is the brunette available? No. Nah, it's game over, mate. More Why? It's, it just means... 
Actually, no, no, no. Fuck that. What's her name? We'll see. We'll, I, I want her to decide if she's available or not. <laughs> yeah, that's all I do now. Like, you just phone chicks up and I just get, like, I turn into Sampha. Do you even know who Sampha is? You don't, do you? I've no idea. No. Essentially, Sampha, he's a singer. He's good, right? He's meant to be our Stevie Wonder. But, like, he'll, he'll be a really profound lyric and he'll just go, Oh, and that's what I do. I just Mysterious girl, I oh, want to get close to you. No, that's not that, Sanford. That's, that's Peter Andre. Well, oh, Peter shit. Peter Andre is our answer to Stevie Wonder, I think. He's Australia's answer to Peter. Yeah. Stevie. That motherfucker can see. Did you see him at the, the Grammys? Yeah, he went was? to read the envelope. <laughs> Man was just reading that shit like, oh, oh yeah, shit, sorry. That's that guy can see, man. Why is it just him and Ray Charles have that blind man thing? Like, no one else has it. You ever been around blind people? They don't do that. He's waving his head around just for people yeah. that can't see him, which is blind people and non-blind yeah. people. Which is why other blind people haven't known, oh yeah, shit, I could do that, couldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Can I go home? Yeah, let's go. Right. Thank you very much for listening as always. Hey, big shout out to Dan Aziz. Great win on Friday night. Listen, yes. that guy's social media game and his engagement thing has just gone through the roof. You remember... They criticised me for mentioning my mates. This is why I mentioned my mates. Uh, uh, shout out to Andrew <coughs> Fairley doing the ring care, uh, trying to raise money for like a care home for Xboxers who fall on hard times. So look him up on Twitter. Yes, noble trying cause. Trying to raise money for a very, very good cause. If you can donate, do. Yes. Fashion. Where do they donate? John Pilata, buy tickets off Andrew Fairley on Twitter. Just buy tickets off John Pilata. Tickets off John Pilata. Tickets off John Pilata. Tickets off John Pilata. Cut it oh. there. Okay, something I've always wanted to do. Any other business? No. Okay, bye.